ladies and gentlemen. Starring Mike Murray and Nicole Rovine. This is SNL. SNL. By the numbers. 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 Hello, SNL Universe. Welcome to 2023 of the Saturday Night Network. This is our first live show of this year and our fourth year that we've existed in. 2020, 21, 22, and now 23. I am joined always by John and Nicole and talk to them about a lot of stuff. But we gave you 128 podcasts last year. That's, that's more than 10 a month. So if you didn't listen to all of them, you should. But if you don't feel like you have 128 podcasts worth of time, I suggest you go check out the highlight reel that John Schneider put together, the best of the network that we did this year, uh, this previous year. So check it out, and we have a little taste of everything. So first of all, I need to introduce Nicole Rovine. Happy New Year. Great to see you. How you been? Happy New Year. Um, I am really good. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I am thinking about that uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where they figure out what, how long can you continue to say Happy New Year. And he decided January 7th. Um, and, you know, we're, we're past that. But I think, you know, in the context of this, this universe, I feel that it's rather appropriate to say it because we haven't all seen each other. You know, it's, it's a new year. It's a new by the numbers, new, all, you know, same, same thing, but new year. So I find it appropriate. But I do love the obsessive overanalyzing of when is the exact right day to stop saying Happy New Year. Yeah, um, I, I once got yeah. Happy New Year in March. Are oh, you serious? Gosh. You're kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just quoting Seinfeld. Uh, Oh yeah, <laughs> missed that one. You brought Good. up curb. Um, so Ugh, I feel John, silly for uh, missing that. We haven't talked to you on the by the number show since the last by the number show, which was the Austin <laughs> Butler Cecily finale. So how was your uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year, everything since we last saw you? Well, Happy New Year, Mike. Happy New Year, Nicole. Yeah, I feel like every year it is a tradition that our first show of the year, we have this debate as well. So I, I think that happens if you go back to our first show last year, trying to figure it out. But uh, never too late to say Happy New Year to our friends here on the SNN. And yeah, I mean, Nicole said it. Uh, it's the first time we're all seeing each other. But I feel like I just saw all of you when I was doing that best of last week. Not literally, but just putting together so many funny highlights from the year. And I feel just the pressure. The pressure's amped up to see what we're going to produce in 2023. But life has been good. It's been uh, a while since we've been live. I mostly had a staycation, or at least I tried. I tried to not do too much work. But, uh, you know, I'm a little bit of a workaholic sometimes where if I really love something, I have to keep working at it. But uh, yeah, I had some fun times with family, saw some friends, uh, watched some good football. And now I'm just really excited with the announcement. Uh, is it? Yeah, it was last week already uh, where Aubrey Plaza and Michael B. Jordan are hosting Saturday Night Live coming up in just a couple weeks. So that will be not they're not hosting together. It's not a Marty Steve situation, but back to back weeks. And then we'll get a we'll get a third one after that. So I'm already you know, I'm feeling amped up. I'm feeling excited. And if if you're wondering, like, hey, what's the difference between this show and the last by the numbers that we watched you guys like now we have some idea of what 2023 SNL is going to look like. So I feel like we're able to prognosticate just a little bit with the show tonight. Absolutely. And uh, this this show um, is also for people who may not have caught all the shows last year because we're releasing the data. It's going to be all out there. We'll put it on socials. We usually wait till the end of the year and you know, make a big splash, but we're going to put it out there. 
have all the appearances and all the screen time. Um, so we're going to show them in the podcast and uh, put them up online. So if, you have, if you're curious, and this is a good show to listen to just because we're going to go through the cast and what's happened in nine episodes. So and in this season alone, we've had nine hours, 29 minutes, and 19 seconds of SNL to analyze. Went through all of them. 444 cast appearances. That totaled 11 hours, five minutes, and one second. So it's all going to be here um, in this list. So, Nicole, will you... Uh, introduce what we're going to talk about first. So as Mike mentioned, we are going to dive into the big picture. This episode, that's what this is for. We're going to start with appearance stats. So, um, you know, if you've been watching, following along, we talk about appearances, we talk about screen time. This one is pure appearances. How many times, quantity, number of times do you see certain cast members appear? So this is, again, SNL Season 48, Episodes 1 through 9, the first leg, the fall, the calendar year 2022 of Season 48. So, Heidi Gardner, 38, Chloe Feynman, 37, Keenan Thompson, 36, Ego Wodum, 33, Bowen Yang, 33, Mikey Day, 32, Cecily Strong, 31, Sarah Sherman, 30, James Austin Johnson, 29, Michael Longfellow, 25, Devin Walker, 24, Marcelo Hernandez, 22, Punky Johnson, 22, Andrew Dismukes, 19, Molly Carney, 13, Michael Che, 10, and Colin Jost, 10. Yeah, I'm going to toss this one to John, actually, because this is a stat near and dear to his heart is what he considers to be just like the stat to point to because it's really not subjective. It's like, were you on the show or were you not on the show? And he spent a lot of time going back to all the old seasons. And so now we have a pretty good data set. We have nine episodes. It's not quite half the season, but you know we're at the mid-season point. So we're going to talk about everyone in the cast tonight. So we don't want to get too specific. But I do want to have John maybe revisit the September John and say, what would he say if he saw this list right now? Would anything be like, wow, I did not see that coming? That's an interesting way to look at it. I think, you know, obviously Heidi being at the top and then Chloe second, so 38 and 37, right about Keenan 36, is interesting. A lot of women in the cast have departed in 2022, so you would think there would be some risers. It's not that unexpected that Heidi is at the top, but just when you see it visually, it really feels like a changing of the guard. So to have Heidi and Chloe, Ego at fourth, Bowen at five. I mean, these are people who, you know, maybe were inching their way up. I mean, Chloe to me is like a massive surprise at two. But, you know, them inching her up and now that they're there, that's really interesting to me. Um, obviously, if I had to guess, and again, you can go back to a lot of the takes about the specific cast appearances. If you go back to our cast draft that we did in the preseason, that's one where we sort of went through each cast member and drafted based on those expectations. And we did have a lot of fun discussions about that on our recent draft podcast that we did over the holidays. But I will say the standouts here from a negative perspective are probably Punky and Andrew, our third year players who collectively have five featured players ahead of them as far as appearances are concerned. Actually, I guess Marcelo's tied with Punky, so just a little bit of a caveat there. But Sarah, JJ, Longfellow, Devin, Marcelo, all equal with or above Punky. Andrew there at 19. Molly at 13, obviously expected more from them so far. But 
it's just it's it's a very interesting uh you know like brief glimpse into what we're going to be talking about later which is a detailed play-by-play of each cast member through the first half of the season and talking about our expectations for the second half absolutely and that was my headline looking at this john was literally what you just said was that we have two third year players that you know they came in in a group of three and these are the two left and then you have two from last year that came in with a group of three and they are left, which is Sarah Sherman and James Austin Johnson. So just right there alone, the fact that two second-year players are ahead of two third-year players is interesting. But then to have two of the rookies be ahead of them as well, and like you mentioned, Marcelo tied with Punky, who is ahead of Andrew. So I want to throw it to Nicole and just say, when you look at this, is it, does anything make you happy with what you see here? Or is you know you think it's it makes sense for the eyeball test of watching these nine shows? Yeah, well, that's an interesting phrase to bring up is the eyeball test, because we're talking about what we've seen objectively this fall. And then we're talking also about these longer term, wider conversations that we've all had over the last several years at this point, you know, and so like, the Chloe storyline is really jumping out at me, because it feels like just a few months ago, you know, seven months ago, we were talking about how she would look so different on on a chart like this, you know, that she would be in these isolated, very Chloe branded pre-tapes and have like a starring role. And then you don't see her, you know, incorporated into other, you know, sketches throughout the show. And you see like Chloe showcases that feel custom tailor made for her. And then you don't see her around. And so I'm like, my eyeball test is almost failing me to think that it's like the opposite is true now that she is in so many sketches across the episode different types of sketches you know sketches written by several different writers collaborating with different people um so she is a lot more like really present at the show and i mean you see this this top three heidi chloe and keenan we've talked about heidi and keenan in very similar ways the last couple years um in these like really utility players reliable people who are you know can anchor down a sketch and turn a sketch around, make it better, can uh, fit in anywhere. And I mean, you see those top three, each one behind the other. It's it's 36, 37, 38, that top three. So, um, you know, maybe it's time in 2023 that we kind of talk about Chloe in that way with the Heidi and the Keenan conversation, which I would never have thought of, you know, again, like seven, eight months ago, I would have said she's you know, more of like a a star. If she's on screen, she's being the star of the show, which I would say Sarah is like that to me, who I always, you know, have nothing but amazing things to say about Sarah. Um, I think she's having the best season of any cast member in many ways. Everything you see from her is that is her being a star. Um, And that's how Chloe used to be. And now it's like, oh, Chloe's just like showing up in a lot of places. And, you know, she's not the star every time, but she's also making the people around her look good all the time, oftentimes. So um, yeah, what do you guys think of that notion of like the Heidi Keenan conversation also being like a Chloe conversation? I think you raised a good point, which was uh, that I feel that she's very much on an island um, even now. So the fact that you mentioned that, that's kind of what you're seeing, um, you know, makes me feel even more confident with that take. But 37 appearances, I mean, that's they're all over the place as far as the duration of them. She had 21 last year at this point, which would put her below um, Punky and you know between Punky and Andrew now would be Chloe um, as of last season and her third season. Um, so I think it makes sense, like what John said, his opening take that 
you know, there's a vacuum there for the for the women of the cast. So Heidi and Chloe, I think, is what you'd want to see um, up there with Ego as the top three women. And now they're the most tenured women of the cast with Cecily leaving. Um, so I think that makes sense. But as far as that, I mean, John, closing take before we look at screen time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good transition point to sort of get to screen time, which is that I really value cast appearances as a stat just because they're the easiest thing for the casual viewer to look at. It's like, how many times do you literally appear on screen? And overall, you know, that's sort of how people start to get to know you, how many appearances you make. But there is advanced analytics, and that's what this show by the numbers was designed for, because you'll see on the next chart, which we'll get to in a minute, but Chloe Feynman isn't in second place on the second one because her screen time is lower than second even though she's second in appearances right so it's the actual you know physical time that she's on screen versus how many appearances she makes in a sketch that's where context starts to matter when you start to talk about these players so i do value that chloe has been in the second most sketches so far this season but when we start talking about screen time which we'll get into in a moment we'll see is that really the be all end all for her as far as fitting in with somebody like Heidi and Keenan, or can she replace a Cecily? Like, I don't know about that. So I think it's just part of the larger conversation that we'll get into. Yeah. And the transition, um, bring up the next chart for screen time, just to keep going with Chloe's, uh, she would be, uh, 13th in the cast in screen time per appearance. So obviously take that big number of appearances and a smaller number of screen time, which not really a small number, but, that's a lot of appearances for Chloe, so it makes sense. So she's at one minute, six seconds per appearance, if you average it out, which puts her only ahead of Punky, Longfellow, Devin Walker, and Marcelo Hernandez. So she's like literally bottom of the pack for her class and for the repertory players um, would be her and Punky at the bottom. So definitely these two stats intersecting, uh, Chloe is a perfect person to point out in that regard. Um, Nicole, you want to show us what we have here? I would love to. All right. So this is season 48, episodes one through nine, screen time. So the total number of minutes and seconds that these cast members have appeared on screen, rather than what we just looked at, which was pure quantity number of times we see them. This is number of minutes total across all of those times. Okay. So in first place, Cecily Strong with 64 minutes and 30 seconds. Then Keenan Thompson, 58 minutes, 54 seconds. Colin Jost, 55 minutes, 23 seconds. Heidi Gardner, 55 minutes, 16 seconds. Ego Wodum, 55 minutes, 14 seconds. Bowen Yang, 54 minutes, 55 seconds. Mikey Day, 53 minutes, 43 seconds. Chloe Feynman, 40 minutes, 42 seconds. Sarah Sherman, 36 minutes, 48 seconds. James Austin Johnson, 35 minutes, 41 seconds. Michael Che, 32 minutes, 55 seconds. Andrew Dismukes, 31 minutes, 26 seconds. Michael Longfellow, 20 minute, 21 minutes, 46 seconds. Punky Johnson, 19 minutes, 28 seconds. Devin Walker, 17 minutes, 46 seconds. Molly Carney, 15 minutes, 21 seconds. And Marcelo Hernandez, 15 minutes, 13 seconds. So, Mike, anything you want to point out here? I have to point out the obvious. Cecily missed the first three episodes, <laughs> yeah. but here she is on top, which I figured she would be in the top three or four, but... Uh, to pass Keenan and be number one in the cast. So it's, you know, basically like running a marathon and like I'll spot you three miles and I'll see you at the finish line. So that's what Cecily just did here. And you'll see um, if you watch along with us, they are color coded by episode. So you see the impact that we had uh, that final three set of Kiki Palmer, Stephen Marty, 
and Austin Butler that she ran away with it. So that was, it makes sense that, you know, we really had a lot of Cecily time in those in her final three episodes uh, that we might have not have known going in and just more and more. So it makes sense that she's at the top and, but not only on top, but she's six minutes ahead of Keenan. So it's a pretty big lead to be on top. If you look, you see as Nicole read out, Colin, Heidi, Ego, and Bowen are all separated by a minute. So really neck and neck. And then Cecily, like I said, six minutes ahead of Keenan. So that's what stands out to me. We see Heidi up there in Keenan because they do appear a lot. So that brings them up. But um, John, when you see this and you see Andrew and Punky down low, and like I mentioned, Heidi and Keenan, but is there anyone that you think, kind of like we talked about with Chloe, that you think would be an, is an interesting discussion between the intersection of appearances and screen time? Well, I think when it comes to the rookies, I think you could certainly see that, especially for Devin Longfellow and Marcelo, that they are lower on the screen time chart versus the appearance chart. So when they are appearing on screen, it is for a little bit of time, uh, which is fine. That's toward, you know totally typical of what you would get from rookies. So that sort of makes sense to me. I think what I've, you know, you know, and we could discuss this maybe more when we get to him, when we talk about each individual cast member, but I do think that one of the interesting narratives in case you missed the individual episodes of our by the number show this season is the discussion that Mike has had with several of our panelists about this very weird trend of Cecily Strong taking screen time away from Andrew Dismukes who basically have the complete, like, they could not be more different, could not have more, like, different comedic personas. But what seemed to have happened this season is Cecily came back, and the numbers don't lie, Andrew went away. And I don't think it's fully a coincidence. I think that it's possible that Andrew's style of comedy, the sketches he was writing, ended up being low on the totem pole compared to a, hey, we got to get a Cecily in here. You know, or we got to get a Cecily style sketch in here. And the Andrew Dismukes style sketch or, you know, the Will Forte style sketch, which we do believe Andrew is sort of like in that vein, ends up being less important when you have a tenured cast member who ends up being there to dominate. So that's what I find very interesting when you start to look at the colors of each individual episode. It just seems like she sort of pushed him out because I think the narrative that you have been discussing, Mike, is right. And just for uh, some context right there, Cecily, you know, puts up zeros in the first three episodes and Andrew's best two episodes screen time wise was the first two. So he did put up seven minutes, 17 seconds in the premiere of the Miles Teller episode and then 615 in the Brendan Gleeson episode. So, you know, two very different hosts, very different vibe episodes. But yet Andrew Dismukes found a way to be in the show a lot those weeks. And that was Everyone was in the cast except Cecily for those shows. So it's definitely a discussion that I did not think we would be having, but it's come, it's come up enough because it is a little strange. So, uh, Nicole, when you see screen time up and down, you know how this goes. We follow it so closely. And now we have nine episodes. And again, it's just I'm seeing Sarah and J.J. like pretty neck and neck that, you know, J.J. was a lot higher than her last year. I know you're, you love to talk about Sarah. So Look Look where she is now. She's ahead of J.A.J. So any comment on Sarah Sherman um, edging ahead of J.A.J. in the screen time race? 
Yeah, I mean, it's that's a case where it's the eyeball test, it's the discourse test, you know, which I just made up, but you know, what the way that we talk about things and the way that we're seeing things and all of that. I mean, I feel like it's really Sarah's season, like, she is having an amazing season, and then JJ is it's not his fault through no fault of his own, but I think that, um, there's just a fatigue of in not just for SNL, but just like in general with politics right now and with like the types of characters that he's really good at impersonating. Um, and I would also say that's true of Cecily. Like she brings just such a fresh light to a lot of these like conservative, you know, women in, in politics. Um, but even so, I think it kind of is you know, I think she's leaving at a good time because I know personally, I, I feel like, and I'm, I've never been one to say SNL is too political or the political cold opens are too much. I enjoy them, but I think there is just in, in the general climate, uh, just a fatigue of it right now. Um, you know, because when, when JJ first got on, it was like, all right, we have to write Trump into everything. This is just too good not to do that. Um, and I think that was the, the thing his first season was just get the Trump stuff in there because this guy is just way too good not to. Um, and then, you know, his Biden is great, but it's not as fun as his Trump. Hate to say it, but it's true. So, yeah, I think there's been less room for him to try new things because when you go on such a, I mean, you as we've said, you cannot have a better first episode than he did. You know, we've talked about a few historical examples, but really in this day and age, you cannot have a better first episode than he did. and. I don't, I I think like he's going to have an amazing career, but I, I think that like he, if he, if he plateaus for the rest of his SNL career, that's an amazing SNL career is my, is what I would would say. Whereas Sarah is more like the sky's the limit with, with what she brings to the show. And so, and it's more my speed, you know, I, I love to see what she's doing. So I like, I also like that they're very similar to each other in the the numbers because they're so different. And, you know, when we had Aristotle in this conversation, we talked a lot about how he was very talented and had a lot of potential, but he didn't quite have the exact place. We couldn't like fit him into like the Jenga of SNL. We, we, none of us could be like, I think he really makes sense in this part of the show with this dynamic of the, you know, it was, it wasn't about talent or skill. It was like a Jenga, you know, it was a puzzle. And I think with Sarah and JJ, it's like, that perfect puzzle with both of them. They fit into such different parts of the puzzle, but really well. And so um, an amazing, Agreed. you know, class um, that they're in. I'm glad uh, you brought up Aristotle. So I don't have to, um, <laughs> because uh, his yeah, usually time, that's your job, but I'll, I'll take it this time. I what year is this that we're talking about Aristotle? <laughs> uh, it's I think it's interesting to, to bring Greece. him up in, in, uh, you know, unfortunately in historical context, uh, you know, Sorry, sorry to him, but I, I think it is kind of interesting. I I like bringing up uh, Aristotle so he's not forgotten. I think that's why I like to bring him up. But he had 15 minutes, 38 seconds in his SNL career. And Michael Longfellow has 2146 right now. Devin, 1746. Molly, 1521. And Marcelo, 1513. So we brought in four rookies this year. And almost all of them have eclipsed Aristotle's career um, screen time on the show. So you're thinking that any of these rookies are, you know, a little falling behind and you're worried about them. That's a stat that I would say, Hey, I mean, it, it can get worse than this and they're actually doing pretty well. 
John, you have a thought on that? Yeah, I mean, not not so much on the Aristotle stuff, but more <laughs> just like a couple other things about the chart before we move on, which is um, I would say that except for the rookies like Longfellow, Devin, and Marcelo, who clearly are having a very um, you know small amount of screen time per appearance, Chloe is the one that we were talking about earlier. So just looking at this chart, Chloe is eighth on this chart in terms of screen time, but second in terms of appearances, being the one that sort of you know has a big drop off between Mikey at 53 minutes and Chloe at 40 minutes here. So just something interesting to look at when it comes to perspective. And I think that the standard deviation here between Keenan, uh, Colin, Heidi, Ego, Bowen, Mikey is very interesting, how they're all very stacked up and even. That's probably a good sign for what we're getting from most of the cast. But what's most interesting for me here, of course, is the departure of Cecily which is, it sort of reminds me, Nicole, a little bit of on a reality TV show when you're sort of watching it and, you know, somebody gets eliminated and, you know, you're sort of waiting for all the people that you don't get to see enough, but it's like, okay, now there's less people on the show. We're going to get more time with them. Like we're down to 16 players now, 14 if you remove Jay and Colin. So I really feel like this is the most opportunity we've seen for people in a while. And that's what gets me excited for what we're going to get moving forward. Yeah, let's lean into that a little. That's, I, I mean, we, we talk, we, we imply all the time that we see SNL through the lens of a reality show or a competition show. Um, but I, I love the way that you just said that. And it's so true. I watched the, premi- the season premiere of RuPaul's Drag Race on Friday. And the first person who got out um, made such a, a splash and such an impression. And, you know, there, there is with SNL is different from reality shows in the sense that reality shows can be produced, you know, after they're filmed, you know, like producers will tell certain narratives based on facts that they know that viewers don't know as they're watching. So, you know, if someone is going to be eliminated, you're going to want to give them screen time in the edit before they go so that that person which, which is Cecily by the way for the last three episodes who was going exactly. to get eliminated and then they exactly. she has three big fat blurbs the last three weeks right. of the start. So, so who who is the villain of this cast? Is that that's what I'm that's what I want to know. Mm. Like, who's yeah, getting who's villain getting, screen time? Yeah. The villain edit. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's, but that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. I mean what well, let's dive deeper another we'll, we'll all think on it and maybe report back as we analyze, you know, to ourselves. But um Thinking about that's like a step further from what we've done before of comparing SNL to reality and competition shows. How can the the storylines still have that same like pro- producedness to them, even though they're not uh, being told after the events take place? You know, if that makes sense with reality shows, I'm going to keep thinking on that um, because there is some sense of. Produce. I mean, of course, the whole show is producing as you go. Um, but then there are cases like Cecily. If it was known that she was going to go, you know, if you, I mean, are, you know, she's. There have been sketches for her for a year and a half now that were kind of hinting that she was leaving. Like the Janine Pirro, of course, with the wine. That was like, oh, that's a goodbye sketch. So you know, this this is not the first time we felt like she was leaving, um, and I'm sure not the first time that writers wrote with the idea of her maybe leaving in mind. Um, but things like that. And I'll always talk about this when, when anytime someone leaves the show for a few episodes and comes back and then they have amazing screen time, the, the point is almost mute that, oh, they would have so much more screen time if they were there all the time. Because I think when people are absent and then they're, they appear, 
it's they're going to be written in more. They're going to be included more. Their sketches are going to go on more, especially if they're a longstanding legacy cast member who those are the people who are granted that ability to leave more often. It's like something that my mom used to say to me in high school that I didn't understand at the time, but like, it's good to be missed. You know, like if I wanted to go to every party and I felt like I I would, you know, I I would have FOMO or I wouldn't be cool or, or whatever. Like, I just felt like I had to show my face all the time. It's like that expression. Like it's, it's good to be missed. I have awful FOMO by the way. Yeah, I've gotten way better, but in like high school, it was so bad. Oh, by the way, it, you said the point is mute. Is it mute or moot? The word moot? <laughs> I think, I think it's moot. moot. Point. It is moot, yes. I think it's a moot point. Okay. Got it. Yeah, okay. but I don't regret right. the way I said it, but I think you're correct. Okay. All right, just checking. <laughs> Um, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna throw right, back for, you, those uh, are all my takes yeah 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 me too i think i'm I'm a little taked out on that i sort of rambled but i don't all regret right. it we need steve higgins to say we now return to snl <laughs> by the numbers um so basically in general the actually like the whole cast i mean if, including the rookies who have no precedent uh they weren't in the cast last year everyone's numbers are like way up so other than like che who's eerily similar he had 32 40 the first nine episodes last year. Remember, he was in the Rudd episode, and he's at thirty-two fifty-five right now. So it's almost exactly same screen time as last year. But right, but he's not impacted by cast members leaving, right? Because he has the same segments regardless. Right. I'm just making a point that everyone in the cast has done better than they were last year. No matter what the cast size, who's there, who's not, just everyone's numbers are way up. So I think that we try to prognosticate or understand maybe what the decisions are behind the scenes about we noticed that there's you know there hasn't been anyone popping up in a monologue this season yet and that was similar to last year they were more personal so when you notice a trend like that you kind of have to you know highlight that because you're pointing towards a visual trend and that's what we do on by the numbers show but that's like that has to be uh, in a meeting people are saying we want to do more of that we want to do less of this so I think it's also uh, they're being cognizant that people maybe don't like it when people are absent from the show. Uh, it can't all be sunshine and rainbows all the time. So it can't be like everyone gets a cookie, as we say on the show a lot. But it's like, I think it is, it doesn't make sense that everyone's in the show more. That makes sense. I mean, we went from 21 cast members to 17. We're about to go to 16. But I don't think that's the only reason that the numbers are up. I think just people are being used more in the show and i'm noticing that with hosts too so it has to just be about more appearances on the screen because the show is still 90 minutes so there's only so much time to be on the show but i just it's crazy that everyone is way up and even if i did take the average of the past three seasons rookies um episodes one through nine they'd be at 15 minutes 19 seconds of screen time and three out of four rookies are above that too so even the four rookies are doing well compared to a precedent set by past rookies. But we're going to move on to the entire cast. So we looked at a couple things to just get the temperature check on what's been happening this season. But we want to talk about everyone we talk about all the time and people we don't talk about enough. So that's our way of doing it right here. Normally, we talk about the power rankings, which combines the two stats we just looked at, appearances, screen time, a lot of factors into an SNL supercomputer produce the stat. So we're going to go from 17 to 1. 
and talk about each one. We're going to go pretty rapid fire. So, Nicole, John, get your hot takes ready. And we're going to talk about um, each one of them. So, while I gather the first one, I was just uh, looking at previous rookies and like Sarah Sherman's like power ranking was lower than these rookies. And now look what's happened to her. So don't take it as a bad thing that the rookies are at the bottom, of course. Yeah, that's definitely for sure. I think, you know, this is it comparing our show in the postseason to the midseason show. Things are drastically different. And though this is sort of the unofficial point of the season, I think there's just like it, the the second half of the season is like where stars are made. So I think that there is a lot of potential for us to change the narrative. Like I think we're going to feel a lot differently about the cast after these next 12 episodes. Absolutely. And we're going to start with one of our rookies, number 17, Molly Kearney. And they have 13 appearances, which ranks 15th in the cast. So behind everyone besides Joe and Shay. 15 minutes, 21 seconds of screen time, as we saw, which ranks 16th. They've had two leads, one in the new cast advice pre-tape in the Gleason episode, way back episode two. And one, which I loved, was the Please Don't Destroy Election Night 10 to 1 pre-tape in the Chappelle episode. 29% of their screen time has been in pre-tapes, which is highest of the cast. Chloe is highest pre-tape screen time with 12 appearances, but most of Molly's screen time has been in pre-tapes compared to other casts. And they are the only uh, cast member, aside from Punky, who has not appeared on Update. So I'm going to start with Nicole. Give me your take on Molly and, you know, what advice would you give them to get them from 17 up to, say, 14 by end of the season? Yeah, well, my initial take, as you say all of that, is someone can be at the, you know, towards the bottom, at the bottom of a cast, but if it's a cast in a year like this year, it doesn't feel like a bad thing. You know, I would say, again, I don't mean to hate on Aristotle at all, but I I think there is a sense of if you go back this time last year or, you know, a month from now, this time last year, there was a sense of there, it did feel like there were opportunities that Aristotle could have, you know, had more opportunities or could have done more and I'm looking at Molly's numbers and I'm thinking about their like you know best moments on the show and moments where I was really like you know just like found them funny found them memorable found them an important part of of a of a moment and I'm like it's a really good year for a really like dynamic cast and I think my main takeaway is this feels like a really I don't want to say standard or basic or traditional but that are that's kind of like the words that are coming to mind as far as like a like a yeah like a a standard rookie season where you have some episodes where you don't really get a lot in or and you have like these like star moments that are amazing and then the next episode it's like okay well what happened to that you know whereas then you have these veterans where you could have star turns every episode with typical rookies, like this is how we were talking about Sarah last year. She was like, had an amazing episode. And then it took like three more episodes for her to, you know, do something that we were talking about. And I think in a a year like this, I, I feel good about Molly. I think they have a lot more to give. I think it's like a, a typical rookie year and there's nothing wrong. I think with typical, you know, in a cast like this. 
Right. Um, I feel like I'm on the Dana Carvey McLaughlin group. I should just be like, John, Nicole. <laughs> um, so, John, what have you seen from Molly that you do like and want to see more of? Because you could say that about any rookie, any season, they always have more to give than we've seen. And so has Molly done something that you're like, yeah, like more of that in the show, please. No one else is doing that. Or what I've seen has just been right for the show that we could use, say, double the amount in season B of 48. I mean, can I say like none of the above? Because I don't really, I mean, let's just, let's just be real. Okay. I, I don't think that Molly's had a good first half of the season. Like it's been okay. They've had some moments. I think like if we could all just like, let's just be real. That's all like, uh, we're all friends here. All the listeners, all the podcasters. Like, I think we had higher expectations for Molly so far in season 48. Like, yes, the other rookies have been good. Yes, Molly has had some moments. I haven't seen anything that's like blown me away. I think there have been like elements that have been there. There have been some like, I, I think about the new cast advice pre-tape that I think was in the Gleason episode. That was a really great sketch for Molly. I think they've had a few really good one-liners, but mostly like I'm seeing at least in the fan community, a lot of like Melissa McCarthy uh, comparisons, which I don't know if that's completely fair. But, you know, that's what people are, are saying, at least. I don't know if I fully feel that way, because I think it's possible that Molly has completely different range than Melissa. But the problem is we just haven't seen enough to know yet. So I, I think, you know, I want to be fair to them because I don't think that this is Molly's fault necessarily. But I'm not convinced yet that SNL knows what to do with Molly thus far. So convince me otherwise over the next 12 episodes which could completely happen like this is what i'm talking about we're talking about in you know five months from now we may be having a completely different conversation about molly but like let's not beat around the bush and like pretend like you know that they've had a good first half of the season because i don't think molly has right absolutely and you know we don't pretend to on the show it's a number show for a reason they're number 17 because of the stats not because of our opinions of them and i think uh just seeing the last two episodes power ranking score of 8.9 and 5.7 is like is basically is that's like a steve higgins score and he doesn't even show his face in the show but i think just one more thing that's been brought up as we wheeled out the rookies one by one on update the fact that they haven't been on update i think is uh, kind of a red flag so i i'm almost certain that it will happen in this second half of the season but you just have to imagine that the table reads and the pitch meetings and talking with writers that they've been trying to be on update because we had, we've had Longfellow twice and Marcelo twice, Devin once and Molly none. So just think that that's something that if they come from a stand-up background, which we know they do, you got to get an update and either give your fans something to root for or give any doubters um, some reason to be excited about you. So uh, I just want to say this because it's important. Like I am rooting for you, Molly. I really have high expectations for Molly and I'm holding Molly to a high standard. So, you know, when it comes to our discussion of them, I've had a very difficult time this season trying to figure out what to say because there just hasn't been enough there. All it is is like, oh, that's good. I mean, at least again, not to have an Aristotle discussion, but at least last year, there were moments in the first half of the season with Aristotle where it was like, okay, that sketch, that was really good. Like, are we going to see that again? Like when we're talking about characters or specific sketch moments, there just hasn't been enough yet. So give me more time. 
Absolutely. And there'll be, there will be more time and more space in the cast. We're going to move on to number 16 in the cast power rankings, fellow rookie Marcelo Hernandez, who, as I mentioned, has already been an update twice, which is very impressive. And it would probably be talked about more if Michael Longfellow had already not accomplished the same feat in the same amount of time. Um, he said only those two leads though. Um, he's last in screen time, as we saw um, tied with punky. Um, for 12th place with 22 appearances, which 22, not bad for a rookie, but you know, that's what we're talking about. It's low screen time per appearance and um, 40, yeah, 42 seconds per, per appearance, which is last in the cast. One third of his time has been in live sketches. So he's kind of being sprinkled everywhere a little bit. And his, you know, I, I think about for, for Marcelo so far, I think about like him being the DJ and the Jack Harlow bartenders sketch is kind of a perfect way to, uh, display what Marcelo has been. He's like young, energetic, and kind of gets a couple seconds of screen time, and that's it. Um, 81.8% of the screen time has been during prime time, which is a, a cast high. Um, so he's being seen early in the night, but just briefly. And his best episode statistically was, of course, the Gleason episode where he did his first update spot. So, John, I'm going to start with you on Marcelo and just give give me some more scorching hot takes. Well, you know, I want to be fair to Marcelo as well, because Jen, and I clarify this for our audience, which is that we're only talking about what happens between the hours of 1130 and 1am on screen on a Saturday night. So many of you may have seen the cut sketch, the, the science fusion sketch that happened during the Butler episode that was a Marcelo starring piece that never aired. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, he did have a starring role, but not on screen at least. So, you know, it's great that we got to see him and what he could do. I mean, that was fun, but that wasn't on the show. So when it comes to what we've seen on the show so far this season, I've enjoyed Marcelo. I like him. I still want to see like, is he going to continue to be like in the little brother or the boy role or the DJ? Like, is he going to be sort of like, our representation of like TikTokers and a younger generation. And is that like, is he going to be put in that box consistently because he is young and he has that place on TikTok? Or are we going to get to see something like a little bit out of character, a little bit more dynamic from him? Like, what is Marcelo's brand on the show? Or is it strictly being like the new young guy? And I think if it is being the new young guy, then it's a dangerous place to be. Because if you're in a cast with people who there's a large age discrepancy, there's not always a place in a lot of sketches for the young guy. So I think it's like one of the things I'm going to be watching for with Marcelo in the second half of the season is like, can he put himself in roles that are different than what you would expect from Marcelo? Feels very safe to me. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and I don't want to say that his stand-up comedy that he's on an update is particularly safe because that, I think, is refined and strong. But I think Definitely. as far as some of the sketch performances, more in uh, more in a safe role, which may be what you want from your rookies. Maybe that's yeah. the right path. So I'm just you know playing both, both sides here. But it's something I'm going to look for to see. At the end of 48, are we going to get something atypical for Marcelo? Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. I, I think that bringing Marcelo in does give you some flexibility because of his age. And yeah, I, I think his voice is great. I think his facial expressions are great. I loved his performance. Um, just like, you know, cause we're talking about little brief appearances um, in the 
the Christmas Epiphany one with uh, Dismukes as the son. He thought he was great. And also when he was like the husband on trial and the jurors sketch from Amy Schumer. And he's like, I'm up for the death penalty. Like, great delivery. Um, Nicole, what do you think about Marcelo? Are you a fan? You want to see more of him in uh, the second half or being at the bottom <laughs> with all these people like Sarah and Heidi and Keenan? Do you think Marcelo will probably stay down there? What do you think? Yeah, well, when John was talking, I couldn't help but think of Pete Davidson when when John said, is it a great place to be, you know, stuck in that young person thing? And when you think of Pete Davidson, resident young person for a few years, yeah, he was pigeonholed into that. And I think it limited him in a lot of ways. But then you think of sort of the middle to latter end of his tenure, there were a couple of years there where he was... I mean, he was really good and and had a lot of like sophisticated sketches and funny, like deep things or or those rap videos that we all loved and talked about so much that were not just him being pigeonholed as the young person, but him being really creative and, you know, distinctive. And and so, and then I would say maybe at the very end, he kind of did a full circle and sort of felt like that resident young person again. Um, There, there were a couple years at the, you know, the, like third quarter, if you will, of his SNL tenure where he really grew out of that. And I think, um, you know, history has shown that being pigeonholed into the young person thing, um, there's room to grow. I mean, if you're pigeonholed into being like an old fart, you know, where can you go from there unless you're Benjamin Button, you know? So I feel like history has shown that starting out like that is promising. John, any thoughts before we move on? No, I'm good. I mean, I, I will, I guess the, the other thing I would just say is that, you know, coming from a diverse background is extremely important, like his Hispanic background and playing, you know, those type of roles that we don't typically get on SNL, like those are things I really enjoy getting to see. So if it's not necessarily diversifying himself in terms of like, age in sketches and the type of roles, like I would be fine if he does it from a demographic perspective, or like, you know, whatever uh, element of his background that we don't typically get in our SNL cast members. And there was, you know, he was bringing that to some of his live sketches, I would be cool with that, too. So um, I, I just would love to see like, what is a, a Marcelo vehicle look like on a regular basis on the show, which we may get because I think a lot of people like him. And I do too. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Um, we're going to talk about third rookie in a row, Devin Walker. I mean, hey, let's make you know, let's be real. It would, it would, we would be talking about how bad it was if we were seeing vets at 17, 16, 15. So Molly, Marcelo, and Devin makes perfect sense, and probably would be the way you would draw it up if you were to draw it up. So um, Devin Walker's screen time is seventeen forty six. That puts him in fifteenth place. He's fifteenth in the power ranking as well. Twenty four appearances puts him eleventh. His only lead has really been the update piece he did, but I did want to highlight some, you know, kind of borderline supporting lead roles, which was the he was in the Deer sketch, classroom sketch from Meg the Stallion, and then the Heaven Scene sketch from the Chappelle episode. So those were ones where he just had more screen time, wasn't really leading the sketch, but was seen more, and it was in a live capacity. So I always want to see the live chops of these um, new people because that's it's Saturday Night Live, you know, and a lot of people like Beck Bennett, Kyle Mooney bring the good neighbor stuff to the show. And then they ended up being unbelievably um, strong live performers, in my opinion. So I want to see that from these rookies as well. His best appearance was Megan Thee Stallion. He was all over that episode. 
and then went like completely cold. So other than the ones that just mentioned, we have not seen Devin Walker a lot at all. And I said, I think two episodes ago, I'm like, we're definitely on danger watch. I don't think it's bad for the whole season, but when you just completely become a ghost on the show, it is cause for concern because we've seen that happen before. So Nicole, I'll start with you. We have Devin Walker on the show in his first year with three contemporaries with him. Do you think he's in the top two or the bottom two, in your opinion? Bottom two. Um, to, I, I think out of the four rookies, he has probably stood out the least to me, to be honest. I, I think if I had guessed before looking at all of the da- data, I would have guessed Molly would have been at the bottom and then Devin and then Marcelo and then Michael uh, Longfellow starting from the bottom. Um but then you think of like the Megan the Stallion episode, and you're like, oh yeah, he, you know, that episode alone just like shoots him, you know, a hair past, a, a bit past um, Marcelo. But yeah, he, I think for me, the single moment where I was like, okay, there's like charisma, there's talent, there's something I want to see more of, um, was when he was rapping the theme song in the Keenan and Kelly sketch. That was the moment for me where I was like, okay, like this guy really has it and I want to see more of this. Um, But I haven't, the majority of his appearances, I haven't felt that way. Um, So yeah, I I want it like in that moment, I I want him to like capture that in a bottle of like that amazing moment where he was rapping that theme song and then doing his Kel impression in general in that sketch, that pre-tape. Yeah, I mean... That I loved so much. I thought comparing update, we have three rookies to to talk about and compare for update. I thought his was the weakest by a, a wide margin. Um, and I think I'd, I'd like to see him maybe do something different on update. I feel like he could work well with someone else and do something a little bit more outside the box. Um but yeah, we've been talking again, second time I'll bring it up, maybe not the last, but these rap videos that without Pete Davidson and Chris Red, um, I know I'm missing those. I think that was a really fun part of for all the the musical theater era of the last few years that a lot of people on this podcast talk about that we, you know you didn't like. Um, at the same time of that was also these rap videos, which had a totally different energy. Um and as someone who loves both of those things, I think um, after seeing Devin rap in the Keenan and Kelly pre-tape, I think if he kind of spearheads that and brings it back, also Punky, I mean, the SZA song is so viral. Everybody thinks it's a real song on her new album, um, which I'll talk about when we talk about Punky. But I think that's a huge opportunity for Devin after seeing him in that instant moment. My favorite moment I've seen of him was, was that. So if he becomes that guy, um, then this could change for him. You know, he, he could shoot up the list so fast and I'd love to see that. Yeah. And uh, John, I was going to ask you kind of more of a direct question, which is, do you ever feel this way when you see someone in a sketch? Because Devin has been in a decent number of live sketches. Talked about Molly, how they've only, you know, they've been in a couple of pre-tapes and uh, maybe a good one we didn't mention was the um, Scrooge one, the Christmas Carol one, which I thought they were, you know, pretty good in uh, for a short amount of time, which is Devin's been in these live sketches and they almost feel like his character wasn't really needed. And I don't know if you could think of some SNL cast members that are like, not necessarily that they were doing anything good or bad, but I'm like, 
it almost just seemed like there's like a fifth person in the sketch. And that's like Ben Devin for me a lot. That white elephant sketch with Austin Butler, I remember doing his screen time. I was like, he's barely talking. And when he said like both lines, he said did not get a laugh. When I said he was on like the quote unquote danger watch, it was because he had played a delivery guy in like back to back episodes when like he walked on and like handed Cecily wine and like left and like doesn't get a laugh. So these type of utility roles we expect from rookies, but is there something about Devin Walker or is there something about the writing he's received that you've noticed, John? I, you know, I just think he's the rawest sketch performer that we have on the cast. Like I think Molly and Marcelo are probably better sketch performers at this point than Devin is. Maybe not, maybe not better, but at least their skills are more refined. I find that Devin is just like a really, really raw prospect. Like if you're going to make a sports comparison, it's like bringing up a rookie and you're not like a hundred percent sure if they're ready yet. But I do think that he has the skills. Like I've seen, especially in that Keenan and Kelly pre-tape or the online piece that they put of the table read of that sketch. Like you can see it, like he has it in him. He is extremely likable. Like I could tell like personality wise, love to hang out with him. I feel like he's a fun guy to have as a part of the cast, but I think he's going to be the one that's going to have like the biggest learning curve as far as like finding his place in the cast. And I think he can get there. I just think it's going to take longer than even Molly or Longfellow or Marcelo at this point. And yeah, be, you know, because of that and because they want to put him in sketches, we're getting him tacked on to a lot of stuff where he doesn't like, they haven't carved out a like, like there's no writer sitting there that, that like, is like, hey, like, you know what we really need in this sketch? Like we need a Devin Walker type. You know, they're just like, okay, like let's get Devin in this. Yeah, he's definitely a charismatic guy when he's there and you know brings uh presence to the sketches he's in but i was just like this kind of just it feels forced and i feel like snl normally does a good job with tightening sketches and they're always editing and rewriting cue cards and stuff so i was like is this because of what i mentioned earlier that we're trying to get everyone in sketches or is it that maybe his lines didn't work at the uh dress rehearsal or something like that just because it just seemed a, a little awkward to me at times and but yeah i mean let's say it again for molly marcello and devin who haven't really led any live sketches i just want to see what that would look like because we really have no idea until we see it and i think devin walker is probably the biggest um question mark for me would you agree with that nicole yeah i would agree with that as far as yeah like the biggest sort of we could see more and we're yeah yeah nothing that i agree with you john before we move on I mean, I haven't seen any evidence that they don't have faith in him. So as far as a question mark from the producers, like definitely not. Maybe from the the audience, he's maybe the biggest question mark. Because like I said, he's just like, you know, if Molly had the same number of appearances as Devin, we would automatically be saying that Molly has had a better season because Molly seems to be more impactful in the limited time that they've had on the show in terms of those appearances, even though I was making the argument that I'm still not exactly sure they know how to write for them. But when it comes to Devin, I think that his appearances thus far have been probably the least impactful on the cast, which is not a shot at Devin. It's just, you know, this is the type of conversations we have about rookies in their first half of the season. Definitely. And we're going to go to our first 
non-rookie um, tonight, which is the semi-polarizing for being extremely likable as far as polarizing on the show, maybe about whether she's in enough or, you know, whether they she's a good fit on the show. But it's Punky Johnson at number 14, um, which friend of the show, and I'm a big Punky fan and talk about her pretty often. It's her third season, came in with Dismukes and Lauren Holt. And, you know, there was definitely some times where we were like, who's the one that's falling behind? And then it ended up being Lauren Holt that gets the axe from the show. Punky gets a second chance as a featured player and then really didn't do much for a sophomore season. And that's kind of a make or break season. So to see her come back for a third season is a huge vote of confidence for her. And we got that. And then right away, we see her in the Charmin Bear sketch in the Miles Teller episode, which is her longest appearance of the season so far, which I, is not great. But we see her in the classroom sketch with Meg the Stallion and the Girl Talk sketch and Hot Girl Hospital. So right away in those first three, we're seeing a good amount of Punky. And then it hasn't really gotten much better since then. We had the Big Boys song that Nicole mentioned, which probably is her best appearance of the season. I think we probably all agree with that. Uh, but she is 20 sec- 22 appearances, tied with Marcella for 12th. 19 minutes, 28 seconds of screen time, which is 14th in the cast. And yeah, I mean, as we've seen, we haven't seen them yet in our breakdown tonight. There's three, like, quote-unquote, underclassmen, Sarah, J.J., and Longfellow, that are ahead of her that are, you know, less experienced in the show. So, John, I'll start with you um, on Punky Johnson's career or season so far. And do you think it'll turn around from here? Or is she best served to be that type of player that appears in the Big Boys song makes everyone love her and then goes back into hibernation a little bit i mean i really hope it does i i don't think the show trusts her as much as they should because i do think that she's really good when she's given an opportunity and but she just like doesn't get the opportunities and like again like it's you know it's really hard for us to parse out you know like what you know, what the reason for that is, like, perhaps the show sees something that we don't where they realize, okay, maybe she's not, you know, great in a bunch of sketches. And then we just need to put her in roles that work for her. And that's fine. If she's going to carve out a spot in the show, that's like a punky spot in the show, whether it's through raps or, or, you know, through, I, I've made the argument many times on the podcast that I think punky should be playing herself more because I think she has such a strong personality and such a unique voice to bring to the show. I go back to, you know, her flirting with Selena Gomez in that monologue at the end of last season. I think that was a great appearance for her and exactly like, you know, the type of stuff we want to see from punky. And I think that every now and then punky pops up with like a really good episode and it's like, damn, why can't we get some more of that? So for me, I just think it's, um, I don't necessarily, you know, I don't think, you know, Punky's doing anything wrong necessarily. You know, I just think that for whatever reason, like I just, you know, they don't seem to feel like she's a natural utility player. And as a result of that, I think that she's from a numbers perspective, she's really limited because nobody feels like a lot of writers don't seem to feel of like, hey, we're having a scene at a house or a scene at a school or a scene in an office. Let's put Punky in one of the chairs at the table. And I think that that really affects her analytics. I think that's a great point. And just like you just said, uh, probably a lot of the archetypes, I mean, because sketch comedy base is based on a lot of the same tropes. That's why we make fun of them. And that's why they're funny, because we're 
being satirical about things that have happened 10 million times. And, you know, Punky might not be the person that you go, oh, let, let's put Punky in over Ego or, or Heidi or Chloe. Um, but when, yeah, when Punky shows up and, you know, I, I, how many times have we said Punky tonight? It's, it's just fun to say, I think. Um, but I think there were some question marks, and this is coming from a Punky fan, about her acting ability in the first two seasons. And this season, I, I've mentioned a lot on the By the Numbers show, I think her acting has been like stellar, phenomenal this season, just in the lines that she has been given in small and large roles. Because like just, I mentioned sometimes the process of doing screen time, and like seeing her react or give lines, she's been like really, really good. Her longest appearance of her career in SNL is unfortunately in the Maya Rudolph monologue um, where she just stood there. So I'm hoping that she breaks that this season and it's not because of, you know, the Charmin Bears or something like that. That should not be her longest appearance of the year. But um, Nicole, uh, just when you think about Punky Johnson, is there something that stands out that's not strolling to the polls or big boys? Because you know, John mentioned the Selena Gomez monologue and there's just there's been little punky moments that should give us optimism. But do you see her, you know, maybe not being a numbers darling, but being someone who could have, let's say, a five year career in SNL? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to reject your question a little bit because the point I really want to bring up is we we love numbers here. But. To me, I think the moment so far of SNL that has transcended the show and reached people who don't watch the show the most, you know, I, I would say a couple years ago, it was Rap Roundtable with Pete and Timothy Chalamet. So far this year, it's big boys. Like that song on TikTok has like 100,000 um, videos that have used the song, maybe even 200,000. So many. There are people all over Twitter that think it's a real song. Like, People are there are there are edits and DJs who are remixing it. You know, John. You know, you look into that. Like it's it's like everyone is is using that. Thinks it's real. Is editing it and remixing it. Um, and that's a stat. I mean, we know also that Punky was was behind that. She wasn't just in it. She was a big part of the process of of creating that and inventing it. So, you know, SNL is only as powerful as when it transcends itself, you know, and when it reaches people who are not sitting here talking about it in this detail to this degree or people listening to us talk about it to this degree. Um, that's my how I feel about the show. And so when you can create, I mean, Punky has essentially created what only Pete Davidson and Timothy Chalamet in tandem created a couple of years ago. And I think she deserves more credit for that because not to just turn this this whole conversation into a like you have to capture a viral moment you can't have you know the the best way to be on the show is not a being in a three minute and 32 second brilliant sketch it's being able to capture people in 11 seconds in a tiktok um but i sent john something yesterday um of moses storm who is a comedian who we saw in canada who we love and is really talented and he was saying like stand-up comedians don't even, you know, write and and prepare to wow a crowd. Like they they prepare things for their Instagram reels or they have, you know, they do crowd work so that they can have Instagram content without ruining the content of their, you know, their performances so that they don't ruin the content of what they're going to put in their stand-up special. And SNL is is the same to me. It's unfortunate, but it's just the way that media in general is right now. It's it's important to create 
a beautiful 90 minute show, but that's only as impactful as if you can whip out a couple 17 second segments from that 90 minutes of content that is going to transcend the show. And then in in full circle, get people to ultimately, you know, latch onto the full 90 minutes and that sort of cyclical thing. So that's really what I want to say about Punky is she created that moment, which is important for the show. Can I just say one more thing about Punky before we head to our next cast member, which is, you know, this whole big boys thing really makes me value Punky as a writer, because I think, you know, I I am in love with The Lonely Island. Everybody knows that. But it's really easy to write raps or songs or sketches from your own worldview and your own perspective on things but you know punky you know even she joked about in the song like you know she's gay she likes women you know but she's writing about big boys and i think that the the perspective and this was like funny because i I did get to talk to punky a little bit about her process of creating this you know when you are a writer and you're writing from other people's point of views or other perspectives or a worldview that isn't always directly your own that's not the easiest thing to do and the fact that punky can pull that off so well shows her strength as a writer so the thing is is just like i need the show to just give her a little bit more leash so she can continue to write really good sketches because i think she has it in her definitely i mean i i I think i'm optimistic about punky not in a numbers way you know might be a little bit of a melissa via senora scenario where unfortunately you don't see a lot of her and then when you do you're happy and you want to see more and you're disappointed that you don't see her more but uh i'm i think that what you said was great and Nicole said was great is that these things that transcend the show or maybe you have to think about it for a minute before you fully appreciate it are what make Punky valuable to the show. That's basically my last take on her before we move on. Yeah, for sure. But it is interesting to go from, you know, somebody who is not a rookie. Right. So now we're we're talking about, you know, the bottom of the charts with somebody who's in their third year. So we do have to, you know, I don't know if Melissa Villasenor is a good comparison, but it's at least an interesting part of the discussion where it's like uh, I, I want to continue to figure out like as Punky grows in her career, if there are good comparisons between her and some other cast members of the past, because I think now is the a pivotal point in her career where she may have opportunity to bring in things that she hasn't before. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, I mean that she's similar at all stylistically to Melissa, but the numbers have been pretty consistent um, with usage with Melissa. So when I see her data written out, um, it just reminds me of Melissa a lot, maybe unfortunately so, but that's that's the case. And we're going to go to our final rookie of season 48 at 13th place in the power rankings, Michael Longfellow who, no surprise, is the leading rookie of this group of four. 25 appearances puts him 10th in the cast. 21 minutes, 46 seconds put him 13th in screen time. Um, that's pretty high for, for a rookie. I mean, James Austin Johnson you know, sets the standard at 30 minutes, 56 seconds um, in his rookie season, but you know, for the first nine. Um, he was the only cast member shut out this season. Um, he was not in the Steve Martin and Martin Short episode, but he's had four leads, two of them being update. So we mentioned Marcelo had those, and that's kind of what we point to talk about Marcelo. But um, Michael Longfellow was the host of the news sketch in the Amy Schumer episode, which might be the worst sketch of the season, but I think he was pretty good in it. And then he was uh, the lead with Dave Chappelle in the barbershop sketch, which might be arguably the best live sketch of the season by some people. Um, and that was also his best episode statistically. He's been in pre-tapes. 
Um, the House of Dragon one and the Chappelle one uh, rings a bell. He was also in the Potato Hole one with Dave Chappelle, so that's why he was his best uh, episode. But a lot has been said about Michael Longfellow comparisons to Pete Davidson, whether he be like a Kevin Nealon type, I think you said, John, maybe behind the desk someday, or he could be, you know, he could be a successor to Colin and Michael, or he could, you know, just be the next great SNL player. But there's been a lot of talk about him. He got such big publicity after the first um, premiere, a lot of eyeballs on him. Um, he was the only rookie out of this four that I had was like already following on Instagram. Um, so I like, excited to see someone like that make the show like oh cool you know know the person but i don't know how famous he was other than that i'm like he had that many followers whatever but um nicole when you see michael longfellow do you think wow this is the next big thing or you know for lack of a better term we say on the show a lot this is a good funny white guy to put in a sketch because we need a good funny white guy to put in the sketch yeah, I mean, I, I hesitate to say this because I have been all in favor all the time of, you know, giving other people voices other than, you know, funny white guys. But we have definitely had fewer, you know, a smaller percentage than ever of the show has been funny white guys. And again, I'm no complaints. I, I, I like that. It's a lot. We have a lot of different voices. Um but I think because of that, he feels fresher, not to insult him, but he almost feels like fresher than he is in a way because the cast is no longer like majority, you know, guys who are kind of like this, you know, this, I feel like he was sort of the, the archetype, you know, a couple decades ago of SNL, um, or maybe like the 2022, oh, 2023. Oh my God. One of those, that is the year we're in now. Um, you know, when you have to like erase and change it, you know, I'm still there, but, um, yeah, he's like the, the modern day equivalent of like the original SNL archetype to me, you know, someone who's sort of like dry and irreverent and, um, rejects the, the standard. Um, you know, I think we sometimes forget that SNL used to be more irreverent than it is now. Um, and I think he embodies that you know, but also again to the 2023 version, you know, so um, he feels very fresh yet true to the core of what SNL really is about and what it started as, um, which is nice. You know, I feel like he, because of that, he really appeals to OG viewers, you know, older people um, who love the, the original show and who like grew up with the original show and, and have been more hesitant to be fans of, of it today. Um, but then he also really resonates with young people and our voices and how we think and feel and process things. So um, I think he's just really poised to have a good run, a good tenure at the show. And we see that, you know, we saw he was, he was put and this, again, we can talk about the reality TV equivalents of, of production, you know, certain people are chosen to be propped up. J.A.J. in his rookie episode, his premiere episode, propped up. Not only did he do his Trump, but he was chosen to be all over that episode so that he left a mark on all of us viewers for his Trump and for everything else. It was no accident that he was chosen, produced, you know, that sort of thing to be all over that episode so that we would remember him. And Michael Longfellow had a similar thing and has continued to. And, um, you know, that's a good thing. Um, he's definitely made the biggest mark of the rookies, and that's not necessarily because he's the most talented. 
whether he is or not, I think is up for debate, but I think it's mostly because he's in a really good spot um, to appeal to different people and to just have his moment this year, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, John, I'll throw it over to you and I just, you know, maybe I'm being a little biased being a fan of his, but I, I feel like the show hasn't even scratched the surface of really the, the comedy style that he has to offer. Uh, I think there's been a good showcase of his stand-up abilities because he's, you know, incorporating themes that I've heard in a stand-up before. Um, that's that I really like, but I just think that his dry delivery at times, but also it's not even about the dryness. It's a, it's like about the coolness and the energy is something that we haven't seen in a in a bit. I mean, maybe you can think of a good comp, but you know, we don't always want to do comps to other cast members. But I think that he has so much comedic chops to bring to this show that might not necessarily be like oh he's a great sketch guy like a kate mckinnon or a beck bennett but something that the show could really take advantage of and i just really hope they do um what do you think john well i think the dry comp is probably norm um not that longfellow is norm but there's definitely some you know yeah like a little bit of like a little bit of norm in there uh, but I, I yeah, I, I've been so impressed. I mean, I, he definitely wins like the James Austin Johnson Award for the cast member I didn't know I needed on the show. And now he's completely crushing it. And yeah, I mean, every time he's in a sketch, I think he's doing something interesting. I do find even they've been putting him in utility roles. And even then he's had some pretty good one liners for me he fills a void on the show that the show has been drastically missing. And again, I know it is weird. We have discussed, we have discussed this on the roundtables in last month about being like the show, like needs a certain style of like the straight white guy. But I don't know that, you know, we mean that in the traditional sense. I just mean in terms of like sketch comedy, like the straight role in some of the sketches, uh, the very dry delivery. I, it's something that we're, you know, we've been missing for a while. And I do think to Nicole's point, which was really uh, something that got my mind racing is like, is Longfellow the type of sketch performer that could fit in any era of the show? And I think he could, like, I really could see him vibing with most of the major eras in the history of SNL from what I've seen in the nine episodes. And I love it. So for me, from what John has seen in the the nine episodes that he's seen of SNL, John has only ever seen nine episodes of this. Oh, is that show. what I said? I meant to say the nine. No, episodes I'm making. Season. I'm just yeah, making okay. a joke because you've seen every episode a billion times. Yeah, yeah. Times, I'm just times, making times, a times. joke. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yes, agreed, agreed. I I love what we're getting from Longfellow. Right, I can't wait to see more. Um, my wish list for the, the year would be to see him anchor cold open. I think that would be really huge. And I think you would do a great job with that and be, you know, front and center. You know, we've, we've heard stories from cast members, you know, on like fly in the walls podcast with Dana and Spade. Um, like that moment when they're counting down, like I, I think he would just bring a cool energy to that um, spot, maybe if it's political or not political. Um, and my other wish list would be to see him um, co-anchor any sketch um, with our next person, in the power rankings, um, number 12 which is someone he's been compared to. Maybe there's a little bit of a, you know, fabricated rivalry in the fan base because we haven't seen them together much and they might fill um, similar spaces. And that is Andrew Dismukes at number 12. 
He's in his third year, 19 appearances, puts him 14th. So we haven't seen him a lot. I think we thought we would after the first scripts as we mentioned earlier. 31 minutes and 26 seconds, though, which is a great screen time. That's 12th in the cast. His best episodes were the first two I mentioned, um, Teller and Gleason. His first season screen time, 929. Second season, 2241. And as I mentioned, now his third season, 3126. And those are just the first nine episodes. So, Nicole, I think that you fell in love with this Mukes after the prom photo sketch. Was that it? Yes. All yes. right. So t- tell me, has anything come close to that this season? <sighs> um, and, you know, or have you not liked what Andrew's given us so far? Well, it's not that I haven't liked it, but I, I think for me, it was exactly that prom sketch where it was just that perfect type of moment where you can see someone is acting and performing in an amazing way. And you can also just instantly tell that their voice was behind the sketch and that every character in the sketch is that person's point of view. And you know that they were involved in it. It was just one of those special moments. Um, I would also, again, compare Punky's moment with, with big boys. You could feel that influence in that, which is amazing. You know, it's, it's a great moment to feel that way about a sketch and a, and a cast member. Um, yeah, that was that was the moment for me where I was so excited about him. And you had a perfect segue when you said there have been comparisons between him and Longfellow. There have been maybe debates as to whether one is sort of eclipsing the other, or one is taking screen time away from the other. And I think they absolutely take screen time away from each other. Um, and yeah, I I mean we we talked about how it for whatever reason Cecily has has indirectly taken time away from Dismukes, but I, I think Longfellow is, is being given a lot of roles that would otherwise go to Dismukes, and maybe that's because the show doesn't feel that it has to put in that effort with Dismukes, because he already has people like me who love to see him anytime we see him, but um, you know, when you have a, a fresh face, it's like, again, production, that's my theme of this episode, is talking about that. You got me going with that, John, but um, you know, so I, I think there is that, but um, I think it's mutual. I don't think it's a one-sided thing at all. I think they take opportunities from each other and the world would be, you know, maybe we could find world peace if they became a an amazing duo that, that partnered up more frequently. Maybe that would save the world. Yeah, I just think I could easily see them playing brothers in a sketch or even playing rival co-workers in a, a kind of a meta way or something. But we've had headshots in the Gleason episode the big penis therapy in the Amy Schumer episode, the Joker wedding, which much maligned, but I was a fan. I counted all the Jokers. It was a great time. And the Christmas Epiphany episode in the Austin Butler one. So, John, of those four, what was your favorite and why do we love Andrew? Oh, definitely Christmas Epiphany. And I love Andrew even more now because the Hollywood Reporter interviewed a bunch of cast members and asked them what their favorite sketches of all time were. And his was Spelling Bee, the famous Will Forte sketch. So, yeah, couldn't love Dismukes more, but I completely disagree with the sentiment that Dismukes and Longfellow are anywhere near the same type of cast member. I don't see it at all. Like, if anything, I think that Longfellow's more Bill Hader and Dismukes is more Will Forte. Their energies and, are so different, too. Yeah, I, I don't see it. Like, I, I, it's possible that in this limited amount of time, they're affecting each other in terms of like the cast is like, yeah, let's let's get Longfellow in there instead of Dismukes in a typical utility role. But I just don't see Dismukes as a utility player at this point. I think he's just bringing such a unique voice to the show that is just pure weird. And I I think like, you know, I would 
I want Andrew in the show in the show more, but to put him at a table, you know, sitting around a table having no, you know, weird lines and having nothing to do with the concept of the sketch would probably be a waste of his talents. So, you know, if we're gonna limit his analytics, but he carves out a more consistent role in the show moving forward, I'm okay with that. Right. And Dismukes is like the perfect person to talk about when we talk about um, like quality versus quantity or like, you know, do you appear more or do you rather appear less for a longer time? So that's a, just a perfect example as um, Andrew Dismukes, because when he does that Beanie Baby sketch or something like that, where he just like goes from zero to a hundred, like that's where I want Andrew. So your great, great point to bring up, like, I don't want to see him just being the fourth player in a sketch because, you know, maybe there are other, other cast members better suited for that. And that's obviously not what he's um, suited for. So, the uh, next cast member we're talking about will be probably pretty brief. We have our two update anchors, and you know who do you guys think is <laughs> ranking lower and statistically? I assume Che. Unfortunately, any any regular person, you know, anyone who tunes into the show knows the answer. Anyone who doesn't know, ever tune into the show would probably not have an answer. But you know, we've been down this this hole many times. Yep, it is Michael Che at number eleven. And it's his ninth season on the show. So this is our first person we've talked about that's really been on the show for a while, but in a very different capacity as a co-anchor of Weekend Update. Ten, th- ten appearances, which obviously ties him with Colin Jost. Michael Che appeared very briefly in the Steve Martin, Martin Short um, PDD pre-tape. And Colin appeared with uh, Cecily in her send-off sketch. So they both have appeared ten times. Uh, Michael Che has 32 minutes, 55 seconds, which ranks him 11th in the cast. And 11th in uh, power ranking, as we see. His best episode, specifically, was the Miles Teller episode. Um, he had a lot of screen time in that. It's been, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do a deeper dive on update um, probably near the end of the season. Hopefully, we get a joke swap from these two. And I think we're going to keep it real brief with these two. Um, so maybe I'll go, Nicole, I'll go to you for Che. And Jost, I'll go to you, John, unless you have something, something to say on either. But um, I wanted to ask you guys, I feel like there's a lot of clues or just sentiment or feeling that this could be it for this duo. So we can save the retrospectives, you know, the, the le- legacy of these two for a future show. But what do we want, Nicole, what do we want to see Michael Che do this season if it's his last season? What, what's the one thing that you're like, why can't Michael Che do that? Or I want to see that again. I want to see him pop up in sketches more. You know, Jost and Che can be the longest tenured update anchors of all time. And that's great. But it's only great if they are you know, stepping outside the box. Like it's, it's boring for people who have to, for them to have been in that role for so long and to rarely step outside of it. I think they need to be continuing to, you know, reinvent the wheel for, for me to really be happy for them to still be here. And Che is very funny when he pops up at random and you, when you don't expect it, he's really, really funny. Um, Joke swaps. We have not seen them recently. And that worries me because we, cannot uh not have at least one more so i do hope we see one but i'm not feeling so convinced that we will but my main thing with che more than jost is i want to see him pop up in sketches and jost you know i'll save this but jost i love at the desk and i love i'm i'm a jost cold open person i i think he great he writes really good ones so che i want him just to be random in sketches if he decides it's his last season and all of a sudden he's in like one or two sketches a week like making up his own rules completely changing his his form like
go for it. I, I think that would just be like stupid and fun, you know? So that's what I want. <laughs> Definitely want to see Che do things out of the ordinary. Even when he put on like props with the trend forecasters, I was like, you know, Michael Che is, is doing new comedy, which was fun. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll move on and we can, you know, wrap up with, with Colin Jost when we get to him. But our next cast member is, I think, pretty much unequivocally the standout of this season, just based on expectation versus reality and gets talked about the most on the podcast. So we're talking about Sarah Sherman, who's in her second year. 30 appearances puts her eighth. So in a cast of 17, that's pretty good for a second year player who's you know featured still. 36 minutes, 48 seconds puts her ninth. Her screen time is up 173.6% this season compared to last um, through nine episodes, which is the biggest increase in the cast. She had two back-to-back update spots, one on the Chappelle episode, one on the Kiki Palmer episode. She had the Eyes sketch, which is 10 to 1 in Gleason, the Jewish Elvis sketch, and the Austin Butler um, juror sketch with Amy Schumer. So those were some notable appearances from Sarah. Um, also played Chuck Schumer and a cold open. So we've seen Sarah do a ton. I think she has more fans, you know, exponentially since last season. So I got to go to Nicole first. What do you think about Sarah Sherman? And what have you not seen yet? I think I asked you this at the very beginning of the season that Mm -hmm. you said you wanted to see political impressions. We got one already. So anything else? I mean, we've all all your Sarah takes are on tape already, but I have to go to you for one more. Yeah, I don't know that anything I feel I haven't already expressed many times here, but I have an opportunity to say it all again. So I'm happy to have that. She has had an amazing season. I mean, I have been a fan for a long time. And in her first season, I feel like I was as much of a fan then as I am now. But it's really cool to see the show and the fan community kind of catch up to that. Not to say that I, you know, I'm not usually like I had an opinion before other people i'm I'm. you're a trendsetter maybe I, I usually wouldn't say that about myself but uh this time i will i think that we're seeing just such a an incredible rise i mean the jewish elvis elvis sketch for any jews out there non-jews out there whatever like that was just such a revelation and so much fun i can't hear that song without singing delicious cheese instead of the real words like you know, when somebody leaves a mark that, again, this that transcend, you know, something that transcends your original context for it, um, that's that's powerful, and that's another thing at the heart of original SNL is when it takes the world around you, whether past or present or future, and it it gives it new meaning and fresh meaning. You know, Elvis, maybe there was a new movie about him, but still he has been gone for a long time, and his influence was a long time ago and so for her to bring a fresh take on it i wouldn't say that austin butler in elvis was as fresh as it was you know accurate i think it was just accurate i don't think he brought something that we hadn't seen in the discussion of who elvis was sarah obviously did exactly that she brought a new take on something that we've talked about too much you know we as a society have talked about elvis too much and yet when she did it i was hooked um I, yeah, I just can't say enough good things. I'm so excited. Um, but also, I brought this up last time. I think she still has that underdog 
quality about her that I don't want her to lose. You know, it's not like she just writes something and it gets on the show instantly. The Jewish Elvis sketch was supposed to, you know, she had that planned months before it actually made it onto the show. And, you know, of course, it couldn't have been more perfect for it to air for it to come to fruition for the Austin Butler episode A and B right, you know, during Hanukkah, right before Hanukkah. So um, things like that, I think it's just really rewarding and gratifying to be a fan of hers, not just to see her successes, but also to see that underdog quality, you know, to see her win in that, to see her, you know, rooting for her and wanting to see more of her and then getting that is really gratifying and so there is that like edge of like she's so different and irreverent and I I, um I want I want to feel you know I want to feel I kind of want to gatekeep a little bit I I do I think she would understand what I mean like I kind of want to gatekeep the the way that I'm a fan of her and I, I think she would be okay with how I feel about that I feel that um and John my question for you is is there a risk of Sarah blowing up this big, this fast for overexposure? I mean, no one, even her worst critic could say that she's, you know, unoriginal. She's obviously very original. Um, and which might be why she talked about so much because there is stuff to talk about. You're not just saying it for the sake of saying it. So is there any risk of Sarah being in the show too much or is the sky the limit for Sarah Sherman? Sky's the limit. I mean, I don't think that there's, you know, everyone's going to have their haters, um, but, you know, F them. So, like, <laughs> you know, Sarah, to me, is, you know, when you're looking at her, you're looking at, you know, the future, like one of the biggest celebrities in the entire world. You know, that that's what you're looking at when you're looking at Sarah. Like, she's going to have a great career on SNL. You can see it now. She's going to have an incredible movie career after the show is over. Like, they found gold. And it's, you know, like, to me, it's been a while. So I'm just very excited that, like, we're in the Sarah Sherman era. And, yeah, I love it. Still still so young, too. I think me and her share the same birth date. So we have a big like birthday. Same day up. and year? Same day and year, I believe, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Um, so if you think that That's me cool. and Sarah Sherman have the exact same personality, then <laughs> we just proved astrology is real. I see. Um, so that. we're... We're going to move on to her contemporary and his second season, which is James Austin Johnson. So last year, playing Biden and Trump, and through the, uh, through the whole season, he played six of each, six Bidens and six Trumps. This year, one Biden, five Trumps through the first nine. So, um, John, I want to start with you while I pull up the picture, but um, I'll give some more context. But James Austin Johnson, any surprises so far? Um. You know, just really that I haven't seen him sort of diversify from what we saw last year. Like, yes, he's played a little bit of like, you know, train conductor or, um, you know, movie Good spot, direct- by the way. So, yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, or like, you know, movie uh, like agent or director or whatever it is. Like he, he is feel- filling something on the show. Like, and don't get me wrong. Like he, he's good. He's pretty much good in everything he does. But like, I do want to see if I had to nitpick, I'm looking for a little bit more range from JJ at this point. Um, Also, like, you know, for someone who has such a unique voice or voices or a unique personality, really like no characters from James Austin Johnson thus far in his career. 
So like, you know, that's something I would like to see moving forward is like, can he create original characters that he can bring to the show beyond just being the impression guy or anytime you need someone with a unique voice for a sketch? Agreed with that. And if you follow his social media, he definitely has original characters. So I'm hoping we see some. Um, 37 appearances is, uh, oops, sorry, that's the next one. 29 appearances puts him ninth. 35 minutes, 41 seconds puts him 10th um, for screen time. He's been in six cold opens, tie for the third most. Uh, 47% of the screen time is in cold opens. So that, you know, goes again to the uh, five Trumps and one Biden so far. Um, you know, all those impressions are always in the cold open, which I think there's been consensus that um, both those impressions are great, but they would be really funny in like a sketch or outside a cold open. Um, so I hope we see that too. I'm not holding my breath, but it's possible. And he also, uh, he inherited two new impressions this season previously from Beck Bennett, which is the MyPillow guy and Mitch McConnell. So we saw two new ones, but last year when we saw Louis CK and Adam Driver impressions and things like that, I was like, really excited to see how good he was at just not doing trump because he's like known for being trump um and his impression is the best of all time but um nicole rovine what what say you on jaj yeah i kind of expressed my thoughts earlier but i i think he might have suffered in um starting so strong you know again that sort of underdog i don't want to say victim because people you know, people use overuse that word. It's not what I mean, but there's like, there's just something so fun in being a fan of someone and watching them grow. And with him, when you see him right off the bat being a star, it's different to be a fan and root for someone when they've already, you know, the sky's the limit. We just said about Sarah, but when you've already touched the sky in your first moment of the show, where do you go from there? And so, I mean, I feel like this is crazy. I think he has so much more to give. I also think we've probably seen his best work already, which is like almost morbid to say, but I, that's how I feel. I, I, you know, there, there, I think he needs to sort of pivot to have momentum. You know, I was talking with about Marcelo and how being pigeonholed as the young guy has, there's wings to grow from that. But I'm, I think that the JAJ needs to sort of pivot to other other things. You know, I feel like if we didn't see his Trump for like a year and we only ever saw him doing different things, that could be really good for him. And, um, you know, because I think we all enjoy, we all know his Trump impression is amazing, but I wonder if I sometimes put some of my trump frustrations onto him i know i certainly did that with alec baldwin i um i think i started to sort of conflate the two in many ways and um i think subconsciously that could be happening with jj too i always will talk about how kate mckinnon put so much empathy into her political impressions and that's why i think she's one of the best political impressions of all time but with jj he's just so technically accurate that it's a little scary so I think if he moved away from that, he could become more like rootable, root root forable. <laughs> yeah, I, I find him easy to root for, um, but I definitely feel like there's some mystery behind him a little bit. He plays older characters really well and has kind of an old school voice. Like I think John is kind of alluding to plays game show hosts well. Like there's something about that that makes him mysterious. I mean, impressionists by nature sometimes are because they are hiding behind a persona that's what they're doing on, on you know purposely but so i definitely um you know 
that's the best take, John, is that we need to see a character from him. Like I, I can't even really think of one that there has been, but maybe a type like when he did that, um, whatever the co- cousins, Jake Gyllenhaal one, we all talked about a lot when he played that, like, you know, wimpy boyfriend role so well that, you know, something like that for sure. We know we can do, but to like, yeah, really see him go off the rails. Maybe a, he did slightly in that um, new sketch I alluded to from Amy Schumer. Um, he was kind of a wacky guy in that sketch, which I thought was pretty fun. Um, Chloe Feynman is up next. And we talked about her um, near the beginning. 37 appearances, again, puts her second in the cast. 40 minutes, 42 seconds, puts her eighth. She's been in 12 pre-tapes more than anyone, but really only led one live sketch, which was a pretty forgettable sketch. It was the Marilyn Monroe blonde sketch from the Running Gleason episode. And I think I want to just throw it out there to both of you. Do, you. do you think that Chloe has a long SNL career ahead of her, or would it be, make more sense for her to ride this peak and, you know, leave while she's ahead? I think uh, the latter. I could see her doing total, you know, like a five-year, like bring that back. Um, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing to, to bring back this sort of five, six-year tenures of people who become megastars after that. Um, you know, we haven't seen that a lot. We've seen people who do five, six seasons because, you know, maybe they didn't have the best run on the show or maybe they felt like they had given it everything they could. I want to see that again. I want to see, you know, we I mean, the the way the show allows certain people to leave and come back and do different projects is amazing. But what if someone is just so booked and busy that that's not even good enough? I, I think, again, it's good to be missed. So I do think she could be the perfect person to like bring that trend back. I mean, I think she's going to be on the show a while. I mean, like what's the, what's really the difference between her and JJ? Like that they're like, she's a woman and JJ is a man and the president she goes to the Met Gala. You know, I, I, I get that, but that's not, that's not on the show. Like I, I think like if you're, if your argument, Nicole, is that she has too much going on off the show to stay there a long time, like that I can't argue with because like that's everyone's like own unique situation. And she certainly has like star quality to her. Um, but like, I, again, like she's just like a, a female impressionist on the show. Like if Hillary was president right now, like Chloe would be playing Hillary probably. So like, and then we'd all be looking at her like JJ um, and being like, okay, she plays the president. She does like a bunch of other impressions. She does some like unique roles and she's carving her place in the show. But like the analytics are really good for her right now. Clearly they uh, believe in her, you know, so much so that they are going to send her to the Miley Dolly New Year's thing. And yeah, I think, I think she's having like a, a really good time. And I, and I know of like a lot of our fans and listeners, like sometimes have said like, we don't get Chloe and, uh, that's fine. Maybe she's just like the type of for- performer that has like a really unique voice that doesn't appeal to everybody. Definitely. Um, looks good specifically for Chloe. Um, she's third most improved screen time from this time last year, 151% more screen time than she did in season 47 at this point. And it's just been like really solid had, um, the Chappelle and the Kiki Palmer episode kind of disappeared, but every other episode has been five, six minutes. So Chloe Feynman, I think, is benefiting from departure of AD Kate and now Cecily. Um, but just like, yeah, I think the way I think they're using her differently this year. I don't know if you guys feel that. Um, we talked about how sometimes she is isolated in a pre-tape and does impressions, but yeah, I, I think that there's so much room. We talked so much about the Britney Spears cold opens last year. And I thought her Pelosi was like unreal 
maybe it got you know overshadowed by a more loud impression from Sarah next to her, but her Pelosi was like un- unbelievably good. So I'm I'm kind of bummed that we won't we we won't see that um, probably now. But uh, Nancy could surprise you. She yeah, I mean, there's always something there's funny always that's worth worth. Um, I I have to just agree with you with that. I think that was like the most perfect cold open moment of the season because it it brought together that like goofy goofy ridiculousness with like the accuracy and precision, and it's just like that's like cold opens at their best. It was magic. Right. So is there, before we wrap up from Chloe, what what do we need more of? I mean, she's been in duos with Heidi twice. She's done the Jennifer Coolidge and Nicole Kidman pre-tapes and popping up everywhere. But I feel like we talked about her more last season when we were missing her. And now we're getting a lot of her and maybe I don't hear a lot of love in the fan base for her, but I could be just missing it. I, I just think maybe it's just more, uh, more in live sketches. You know, she seems to be a really great pre-tape performer. But like you said, Mike, Oli seemed to have anchored one live sketch so far this season. And clearly she has it in her, but it needs to translate more. So that's probably the one spot I would look at at this point to look for an improvement in the second half of the season. And she is certainly going to have the space to do it. So now it will be interesting to see what happens. For sure. I agree. And I I think she, uh, you know, will take advantage of this spot and... I think we'll should I hope we do anyway see her one more year so maybe she could be like a five five and done person like Nicole said. Um so we got to Colin Jost um number 7 so John I'm going to go to you. Um Colin had a huge night of screen time not just because he popped in to deliver maybe the worst singing in SNL history behind Cecily but he had so much time on update that night. He's been in he's appeared 10 times same as Che in 55 minutes 23 seconds. He made up a lot of time there, but we've been seeing less Che on update than we have in previous years. So sometimes he's like top three in power rankings. Now he's seven. Um, John, if you think this is Colin Jost last year, what is one thing that we need to see other, other than, oh, I, it would be fun to see him somewhere else? Is there any brand of humor that Colin Jost writing, maybe, if you don't want to talk about him on camera, that we need more of other than political cold opens? Any takes on Colin Jost for the quick one here? I just think like underrated, you know, of this underrated moment of the season potentially is just how uh, or storyline of the season is is how strong his writing has been, obviously stepping down from head writer prior to the season and maybe gives him more time to write very solid sketches. But I think he's had been a really strong writer. And I think like this whole narrative of like, I think like the hardest thing or the thing that I disagree with the most a lot of times with our live chat and like, I, I appreciate everybody who's here. So I'm not trying to uh, pick on any one of you, but uh, sometimes I see a lot in our chat being like, Hey, like Colin, like didn't really bring it tonight or like Che didn't really bring it tonight or like, they don't seem like that into update. And I find like that, like that is the hardest take for me to like back because I find it like really, really like hard to like judge when somebody's not bringing it on update in a given night so I, i'll give it on the butler episode that per, that he definitely looked off which is understandable due to his relationship with cecily but i don't necessarily think like he's he's been like completely off all season on update like I, he's been pretty good yeah i think it's, i think they've been strong as a duo um maybe they just feel like a vestige of the last era that's oh, that for sure it. yeah i mean 
I don't think they've hung around too long, but it definitely maybe feels more apparent with a big um, featured class right now. I mean, him being in his 10th season, he's been on the show even longer as a writer. Hard to believe that Seth Myers was on for 13 seasons because I, I can't even imagine Colin being behind the desk for three more seasons. Um, I know he started on the desk, um, Jost did, but I just I feel like the Che and Jost era is coming to a close pretty soon. Um, so it's speculation about what will come next. But before they do leave, we want the last joke swap for sure. I can't imagine they don't do that. They didn't do it because of the Paul Rudd episode um, when no one was there. And they didn't do it at the uh, Christmas episode just this past month. So going into our last few, this is a cast member that I think in our first season of By the Numbers, I would not stop talking about. And has definitely not been up and down, has stayed in the top. But I'm talking about Ego Wodum, who I kept talking about being the next big star of SNL. And, you know, see her on the commercials on TV. I don't know if she's getting talked about enough outside the show. And I know the fan base loves her. But this is Ego Wodum in sixth. She's in her fifth season. 33 appearances, tied with Bowen for fourth. 55 minutes, 14 seconds, puts her fifth in screen time. She's also tied for the most live sketch appearances, um, 23 with Heidi. An interesting stat about Ego, um, 18% of her screen time has been in 10 to ones, which is the highest percentage in the cast, which, you know, don't think of Ego as a 10 to one person, but um, here we are with 18%, which is pretty high considering she has such high screen time numbers. Um, so, Nicole, when you think about Ego this season, you know, has there has there been improvement or is it just in the numbers? Because we've seen Ego do so much good things in her career so far that I don't know if anything has been surprising to me other than just like, hey, solid, good job. Yeah, I mean, that stat about 10 to 1s is I would never have guessed at all. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, but also she's someone who I, I like to hear stats that surprise me about her because She's probably the only person in the top like seven who I'm like, we don't see nearly enough of her. You know, everyone else in the top seven, I'm like, yeah, we see them a lot. And I love that. She's like, I want to see her so much more. I think anytime we, we really see her in her element, it's just like iconic and, and like magnetic and, and amazing. You know, I mean, the parent teacher conference sketch with Jason last year was huge in our community people just loved it thought it was like the voted perfect, the best right yeah it was it was like the perfect snl sketch in so many ways it had everything it was it was amazing um and it had her voice you know the meg the stallion episode ego's voice was all over i mean she there's no way she slept that week because you know she was writing so much she was in so much like and when when it's it's cool to see that it's it's cool to see that and i i I want to see more of her across the board. Um, I do think there hasn't been like upward kind of movement with her in a, in a couple seasons um, because she is someone who like in her third season, I would say we were talking about so much um, of like having how she's having an amazing season and it was great. Um, and then there, yeah, I would, I would say she's been like really steady and reliable and a great, a great cast member since then, but um, yeah, I do want to see more of her. John. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I don't really have any 
strong take here on Ego, to be honest. I mean, I, I think that she's fantastic and has amazing star quality every time we get to see her on screen. I'm just looking forward to seeing what she's going to bring to the second half of the season because like every few episodes, she comes out with something really fun. So for me, no complaints about Ego, and it's hard for me to nitpick. Yeah, I'm glad, um, Nicole, you mentioned the Meg the Stallion episode, not only because she was in it a lot, um, but that classroom sketch when she played like the substitute substitute teacher, I think, was my favorite sketch of the season, maybe until like the barbershop sketch or something like that that came after it. But just unbelievably good good in that one. You know, had Dionne Warwick um, standout moments last year, of course. So maybe I'm hoping that there'll be something that um, really picks up traction for, you know, we're hoping for recurring characters. So, um I don't, you know, I don't know if we would see that substitute again, but I would, I would love to see it again because she was, she was so good. Um, we're gonna move on to Mikey Day in his seventh season. So now with the departure of Cecily, really, you know, one of the vets came in with Alex Moffat and Melissa Villasenor as cast member, but was a writer previously, and 32 appearances puts him sixth. 53 minutes, 43 seconds puts him seventh in screen time. Exactly 50% on the nose of his time has been in live sketches. So he's really definitely known as a guy who does a lot of work outside cold opens, monologues, and we can update as far as the live portion of the show. His best episode was the Miles Teller episode. He played Ronald McDonald and did the rooftop um, bar sketch with Miles Teller. He also did the Blood Oath sketch with uh, Brennan Gleason. And I think maybe his best sketch of all time, which was the heaven scene um, from Dave Chappelle. Um, Nicole, Mikey Day, leaving it all out in the field. What do you think about Mikey mm-hmm. Day? Yeah, I mean, as we talk about, he is the quintessential person who we see more than we think we see, objectively on screen, and also his influence on the show. Of course, his collaborations with, with Streeter, like we we see that even if we don't realize we see it, like all over the place. Um, you know, and I think he's given us that. Like probably one of my favorite Mikey moments was the SNL at Homes when he did a sketch with his son and it was like all those pranks, you know, putting like nails on the toilet and, and doing silly things like that. I feel like he is one of the cast members who doesn't like infuse who he is enough into it. You know, like there are other people who have star power outside the show and they make their personal lives a reason to want to see what they're doing. You know, of course, Pete Davidson maybe was an overshare, maybe to his own detriment, but like, that makes people fans of you and that makes people invested in your journey on the show. And that was maybe my favorite moment of his was when we got to see into that and see his, his son and him just being goofy. Um, Nicole, I quoted the uh, Gigi Hadid thing the other day. So thanks for bringing that one yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Handing yeah. all his contacts to Gigi Hadid, Gigi Hadid. That was Gigi perfect. Hadid. Exactly. So yeah, I think that's the one thing he's missing. I think either he has plateaued and he had a great career and he could be done or go on update and like talk about some random anecdote about your son or like bring your son on update like you know let us in a little more because I think his what he brings to the show it's sort of there's still this anonymity anonymity I can't speak but you know like there's still this like you know thing about him where we're like we don't know who he is we just know that he is everywhere Right. And John, I'm looking at the list, uh, the cast list. I see, you know, if he came back next season, he'd be tying people like um, Phil Hartman, um, Will Forte, Bill Hader, uh, Beck Bennett, people who stayed eight seasons 
And I think the people I just named people, you know, were devastated to see those names. I, uh, when they left. So if Mikey day leaves after seven, I, you know, maybe there's nothing left to be seen, but I, I, he's definitely been a glue guy, you know, like Beck Bennett, uh, Phil Hartman, you would definitely say that about, um, for sure. So when we come to Mikey day, who's, you know, older than we think, you know, he's how old is Mikey day? Uh, 43 almost. So it's like older than we might think. Cause he still plays like young roles pretty well. Um, so if his time on the show, like kind of like I, asked uh nicole with che and you with colin like do you think that there's something that we want to see from mikey in the second half of the season i mean not really i think the show is happy that they have him on so there's some sense of familiarity there given all the departures i i think mikey sometimes like really brings it so i do enjoy it i think he's probably He's probably one of those cast members that like it's going to take a few years of him not being on the show for then me to properly contextualize and analyze his time on the show. But this season has been like a little bit of a mixed bag for me with Mikey. I had I had really high expectations coming in thinking that he was going to be one of the dominant players in this season. And I guess he's fifth in the power ranking. So it's not like he hasn't. But like he has disappeared for you know weird amounts of times you know there's been like whole episodes that have been like where was mikey that night and i find that bizarre in a year where he is like clearly one of the veterans and most important members of the cast but yeah i mean i've always liked mikey throughout his career i never felt like he was the star of the show i never felt like he should be the star of the show and i also never felt like he wanted to be the star of the show so for me like, I think he's just having a typical season for him. And I think that the difference between some of the cast members that you listed that lasted eight years versus Mikey is like they probably had some more star potential than Mikey did, which isn't offensive to Mikey because I think he's a writer at heart. Absolutely. Um, and like with Colin, I'm someone that you'll you won't realize um, wrote some of your favorite sketches. So when the writing isn't there, that'll um, show up to the detriment of the show. But hopefully replaced by you know fresher voices in the meantime um number four in the power rankings this season who i think i don't know if it's possible maybe i'll regret saying this but isn't being talked up and talked about enough because i feel like they've been the most talked about person maybe outside the fan base but it's bow and yang because i feel like the chatter on bow and yang maybe have gone has gone a little cold lately and i think he's having a phenomenal season and i was asked in a dm about who is like filling a like Kate McKinnon um, point of view or not point of view, but like a archetype, not, not even archetype, just who is filling a void from Kate McKinnon. I'm like, it's Bowen. I just didn't realize it until now because we want to go to it's Heidi, it's Sarah. Cause we want to go to a female cast member or something, but it's Bowen Yang because he is so good with hosts. And I was looking at his season this um, so far the Hello Kitty um, sketch with Kiki Palmer, Bartenders with Jack Harlow, and Jurors with Amy Schumer, all I think were strong sketches because Bowen Yang made the host funnier. Um, so I think the, the hosts were great. I mean, Amy Schumer is a comedian. Kiki was great. Jack Harlow being a musician, doing double duty. Bowen Yang maybe did a little more heavy lifting. But he's uh, in tie with Ego for appearances at 33, 54 minutes, 55 seconds, puts him six in the cast in screen time. So we love Bowen on the show. We love Bowen. Um, Nicole, what do you think? Do you think that, uh, I mean, 
he's the star of the show, right? I mean, it's not Sarah Sherman. It's it's Bo and Yang. Well, when you said the Kate comparison, immediately what went to my mind was who would play themselves and just use their name. And it's an, it's like everybody's on board. You know, that was Kate. And now it's Bowen. Bowen can just be himself in a game show or, you know, break character to talk to the audience. Like that is, that was Kate. And now it's Bowen. And I don't think there's really anyone else who can do it so casually. You know, Sarah does it in like, an anti-casual way and like a chaotic way um and in a he's, way that's he's like, made for snl i think oh my god yeah and he talks about that i mean you know any readers out there like if you listen to Lost culturistas you know he said that like he feels like his he's very fortunate in that his skill set and the way that he is as a comedian as a collaborator like he is just so well poised and well positioned to thrive on the show and he knows it you know like it's, it's a great thing um but yeah, I think like the way Sarah will play herself in like, again, a chaotic way, Bowen can like ground a sketch by just talking to the audience and being himself um, and anchoring it in like without being like inherently com- like him as himself doesn't have to be inherently comedic. It's just sort of like it can be like an audience surrogate because like everybody knows who Bowen is. He's like he has that fame. Um, so, yeah, I mean. You know, we all know I love Bowen. I, I think I do want to see more from him. I feel like I, I just, for me, I always want to see more from him. But he's busy, you know. We co- we've compared him to Chloe. They came in together. He's going to be in the Wicked movie, which to me, there is no more impressive gig in the world than being cast in the Wicked movie. So, movies plural, actually. Um, so, he's busy. He is in demand. Um I think he's the next person to be granted special privileges to take a few weeks off when he needs to. And uh, I, that's fine with me. I, I, I always talk about being in favor of those, those stars, letting them kind of spread their wings and then in turn make the show more relevant because they have time to become stars outside the show. I'm always in favor of that. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm in favor of it in moderation because it's more impactful that way. So yeah, I want to see more from him on the show. I also want him to continue being a massive star outside the show. That's like equally uh, something I want, you know? Yeah, we could use more Bowen, but we have 169% more Bowen this season than last season. Um, number one was Sarah, number two Bowen, number three Chloe. So there are three most improved um, via screen time metric are those three. So Bowen Yang, somebody for me that, you know, there's a danger of being too repetitive with his style that you kind of get worried like, Oh, I, I never want to see, I, ne- I never want to see Bo and Yang pop up and go, Oh, it's, it's this again. And like, he proves me wrong. Like I think this season has been so good for him. And John, are you, have you, have you become more of a Bowen fan, Bowen fan this season? Or what do you think? I mean, no, like I'm a Bowen fan. Like I, I like Bowen and I think he, yeah. I think he's a great cast member. I just like, I think we need to like relax a little bit. Like he's, <laughs> he's not like Chevy Chase. Like, you know, like it's true. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is like, uh, like all, we kept joking about Nicole taking him first in the draft, but at least I understood that sentiment because at the beginning of the season, I do see like the meteoric rise and the stardom and the potential to be that. But like, there is no way that anybody could watch the first nine episodes of the season and walk away telling me that Bo and Yang is the star of season 48. Like that has to be, you, you have to have been being sarcastic, Mike, because I think he's great and he's had his moments on the show and he is a fantastic cast member, but like everybody like chill. <laughs> 
you're you're right. And I think when I mean about the star of the show, those are my exact words. Or that like maybe Nicole uh, put it a little better than I did. Whereas like it just seems like Bowen has free range on the show. Like sure. it seemed like where a Heidi or an Ego or a Chloe is still kind of like showing up, clocking in at you know Thirty Rock, where Bowen Yang walks in and it's like he can do whatever he wants. Whereas like, that's how I always felt about Kate. Um, so it seems like the star power has definitely gone up a lot of notches for him. Whereas I would never say it about Keenan because Keenan is Keenan. I guess that's what I mean. Maybe I said it poorly. I'll, I'll co-sign that and say like the definition, the working definition of star of the show, I think that Mike and I are using is actually that they're not spending the majority of their time on the show, clocking in, getting, Spending maximum time. Like, not (laughs) that I want to get into this whole thing, but like, definition. No, it's an interesting conversation. I think your definition of the star of the show has is has nothing to do with the actual. How about this? It's 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 the biggest star who is on the show. Okay. Yeah, the person who's most in demand outside of the show. Just the I would yeah the biggest star who is on the show can't say it better than that. Of okay. what we're talking about but in that case you're saying like pete was the biggest star of the show and then he left and now it's bowen uh, yeah yeah sort of Cause, i cause mean like if you would if that's the criteria you're using then if we would have done this last season you would say pete is the star of the show which i don't think you would have said yeah i'm using i, I mean you know we'll, we'll play with the the language but i i think that's sort of what i'm saying we move on. <laughs> We're moving on to Heidi Gardner. Um, so you know, just for some more, just really volatile, like hot takes um, for Heidi Gardner. If you got them, um, you know, different than Bo and Yang. But I mean, I'll go back to my McLaughlin group. John is Heidi Gardner officially SNL's new leading lady? Yes, yes, one thousand percent. Yes, uh, you know, like I guess, like in a way like she's a star of the show because like she that was my next question right i mean like star of the show i mean let's just be real like again she's just crushing it in everything she does and yeah i i I, all jokes aside i don't think heidi is the star of the show because i don't think that star is simply just like my definition of the star of the show is not just simply padding the stats but it's also having like impactful moments on the show which is why i'm like leaning towards that sarah is becoming the star of the show even though she's not high up in the power rankings like she every moment is impactful that's really what i use as a criteria but as far as like you know just being like solid and consistent on the show like heidi is crushing it on every level and she's delivering in all aspects of what you would look for from a cast member and this is like you know this is her time this is like the moment that she's been waiting for for years on the show is to like have this like the open road ahead of her to do whatever she wants with SNL. And that's that's her that's her future for now. So and, and I think she's going to be around another few years. Absolutely. I, I think Heidi Garden is a perfect example of like pay your dues and when it's your time, it'll be your time because we see unfortunately that happen not a lot i we just lived through an era of people staying a long time on the show so maybe a bad time to be waiting in the wings but heidi gardner somebody who did wait it out and is now like in all stats is like crushing it i looking at her like you know the back of the heidi gardner baseball card it's like oh she's not lacking in any category she's even been an update twice um 
I actually really, really liked her like great aunt um, update appearance. I think I might be alone in that. I gave praise to Chloe's uh, Elmo last year. So maybe this is it. If people really hated that one, I thought it was great. Um, Nicole. So she's 30, 38 appearances, which first in the cast. So even just like that right there, um, Heidi Gardner for you, is this, is this somebody that SNL should invest in for three more seasons? Or is, is this somebody who should finally reach the top and then we go back, you know, we kind of go to the bottom of the cast and they rise up and then the bottom of the cast rises up and then we just kind of rinse and repeat. Yeah. I mean, I'd say she's in direct opposition to the way I was talking about Bowen in that the vast majority of the things I see her in or the, the things that, just, yeah, the, the, the things I see her in are SNL. I think for such a, the most tenured, the longest tenured cast, the longest tenured woman cast member, you know, it's like, why isn't she a movie star? Why isn't she having four episode arcs on hit TV shows? Why isn't she, you know, doing those things? And um, she d- absolutely was a victim of the best time in SNL's history for women on the, sh- on the show, um, which it was the last 10 years with Kate Ad and Cecily. You cannot argue with that. Um, and unfortunately, being an amazing time for women actually really hurt her because here she is so many years after she started. And I think she's not as, you know, the, the things she's bringing are things she's been bringing this whole time. They're not like that new and inventive compared to what we've been seeing from her. It's just that she's been waiting in the wings with these things and we've been seeing them in moderation over years that now it doesn't feel that new to me um, because we have been seeing it. So you know, that's sort of my, my, my take is I think definitely a victim of timing. Um, but it's, you know, again, I mean, she's doing great objectively. You can't argue with that. So that's, that's, that's kind of my take. Fair enough. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely take more Heidi. Um, I think that, I guess I'm curious. I mean, as the power ranking goes on, she was at one point in the season number one. So it's pretty hard to pass Keenan at any point in your career um, in the, cause you know, it's a, it's an average over the season. So Keenan's back at number one. Um, Cecily actually took the number two spot in the power ranking. And we we did a lot of Cecily talk after the Austin Butler episode and, you know, just talking about her career in general. And we looked at her entire stat sheet for the season. So I'm going to skip right to Keenan. So please get your Keenan takes ready. Um, I, I want to hear from the chat on this one. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, Turn on and look at the comments here. See what people think about Keenan's season because last year Keenan like just shattered through a lot of stats that we had seen of his, not appearance wise, but he was pretty close, right, John? Yeah, I think he was having, if not his best season, one of his like top three best seasons last year. Right. So now it's his twentieth season. You know, rumors about. I mean, at, at that point, how it's it's I compare him to Tom Brady because you just say, is when is it going to be enough? Um, but when you're performing at a high level, it's kind of hard to walk away from it. And as, especially as we, as we approach season 50 and just the errors that Keenan has lived through, I mean, as a cast member, he's, he was a cast member, you know, basically when Marcelo was born, probably, I don't know. Um, but here we are with Keenan Thompson, number one in the power rankings. He has been in the show 36 times this year, which is third in the cast and, behind only Cecily Strong in screen time with 58 minutes 
54 seconds. His best episode of the season was the Miles Teller episode. Um, I think we'll see probably him break that later. Um, Nicole, go to you first. Keenan Thompson, you know, sound like a broken record. No surprise. He's at the top. But what have you seen from Keenan this year that sticks out for you? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, not that much. You know, I, I think he, well, I mean, I guess Keenan and Kelly sticks out. Um, I think Keenan is like the king of just nostalgia in general. He's just such a comforting figure to people. Like any anyone at any age has had him in his in their lives, you know, whether you were watching him 30 years ago at this point as a child actor to any time in the last 20 years on SNL. So many people have had that connection, whether they realize it or not. Like you've watched Keenan on television before, anyone. Um, anyone who has a television or has had one for the last 30 years at any point. So, um, you know, I think him leaning into that, especially, I think we're, we can confidently say he's at the, you know, back end of his career, whether he stays one more season or five more seasons, he's at the back end of his career. Um, again, like Tom Brady has been at the back end of his career for a few years now. Um, so I think on his way out the door, again, one year, five years, I think leaning into that nostalgia more can only help him. You know, I think, of course, there's the Keenan react. You write Keenan into your your sketch and it saves it. But I think something that he really got into was that nostalgia in the Keenan and Kelly sketch. Um, also made better by the fact that Kiki was part of that or was was a little... You know, she was a child star on similar shows who was directly inspired by Keenan and Kel, who like was a bit younger than them and wanted to be like them and then followed that dream and was like them um, and then got to go full circle and do that sketch. So that's what I want to see from Keenan is like, I don't, you know, the Keenan reacts like I, I get it, you know, it's like I, I feel like I've seen it not exaggerating 500 times. Um, so yeah, I, I want to see like, I mean, Keenan and Kelly could be recurring, like Kiki can, you know, cameo, make that a thing, you know, she could come back a couple of times and, and there's more to that story. And again, Devin in that sketch was the best Devin appearance I have seen. So it just, it's like a win for everyone. It, it reunites Keenan and Kel. Kiki was the best host of the season. It brings Kiki back. It's just a win for everyone to lean into that. So, uh, speaking of the Keenan and Kelly, I, I think I'm glad you brought it up again, just because it is, it does seem like something that would happen as like a bookend of a career. Not that Keenan's acting career will end when he leaves SNL, that's for sure, unless he ends up running SNL and that's, you know, what he does from now on. Um, that seems like a move that Keenan might make, um, finally acknowledge that and bring Kel on the show. And he, I mean, even a, a smaller example, um, re- revealing uh, coming out as Ving Rhames as the Arby's voice, which is, I mean, I think kind of unbelievable. He's played Ving Rhames before, but like never in that like direct, like I'm Ving Rhames, the Arby's voice. And he walks on set like I thought that was like really funny. Um, so he had the whole movie sketch last year. We gave him a lot of credit for that as Keenan still has his fastball. You know, this year he had the holiday train, the deer sketch, um, Charmin Bears. Um, and the blocking it up for Christmas cold open, um, as well as the Herschel Walker impression. So that's kind of been Keenan's sample size so far through nine episodes. So, John, last take of the night. It's Keenan Thompson's 20th season. 
prediction do you think it's his last and number two what is what is what else is there to say about Keenan? I don't know if it's his last I wouldn't be stunned if it was his last season but you never know I mean uh, I you know I sort of don't want to speculate anymore about Keenan I think he'll just go when it when he wants to but I do think for me yes definitely the moment of the season was the Keenan and Kelly pre-tape and that was you know something we're going to remember from Keenan's 20th season on the show everything else has been unusually unmemorable I would say um but I think that's probably by design like I think Similar to the way we talked about Justin Shea sort of stepping back from the head writers and being more, you know, a regular part of the writing rotation to whatever, you know, maybe it's uh, maybe it's just like handle less of a workload or just have a more an easily digestible role on the show. I think for Keenan, it's by design that he's like, hey, write me into your sketch if you want me to write me. But like, it's not going to be a Keenan vehicle at any points. And we're probably going to get maybe, you know, a handful of Keenan vehicles in a given season at this point from Keenan. And otherwise, he's just going to be pure utility, and that will stack up the numbers enough to get him to the top of the power rankings most of the time. Yeah, no surprises there. So we did it. So we went through. I know it was it was longer last season. Um, it was more cast numbers, but we had to rate we, them last time. Yeah, we we rated them, and we did a really deep dive. So this is our kind of we had to check in on them because we'll do this at the end, and you know we'll we'll do that whole show again. But it, it was four hours and thirty something minutes last time, so. We're exactly half um, what we did last year um, going through cast member by cast member. So deep breath, everybody. John, Nicole, we did it. We talked with everybody. And I can't wait to see. We have 12 more shows. Yep. So way more data to go through. And I'm excited to see how the show will change without Cecily and see what our four rookies, um, how their back half of their season looks. So anything to uh, talk about coming up on the show, John? Yes. So next Monday night, we're going to do something that we did throughout the summer. In case you didn't join us throughout the summer of 2022, we did something called career retrospectives, which I think were really uh, meaningful shows to produce. I really enjoyed them. And this time we're going to cover Cecily Strong's time on the show. We're going to go back and talk about her greatest sketches, greatest moments, really fun characters. We play some fun sound clips throughout her time on the show and really talk about what Cecily will be remembered for. So it's it's really our last sort of goodbye to Cecily Strong. And that will be next Monday night. And then, of course, we will be back the following week with full coverage of that Aubrey Plaza episode of SNL. I think we're going to have an SNL stories that looks like it will be booked and probably air prior to that episode, but working on that and some other ones coming into January and February. But yeah, we got three episodes coming up. So, you know, Bobby Plaza, Michael B. Jordan, and then one other episode after that to be announced who the headliners are. If you are interested in podcasting with us for any of those episodes, we put out on Patreon today, a form where you can register to join us on a patron feedback show throughout 2023 for the rest of the season. So all you have to do is register at patreon.com slash the SNL network. There is a Google form there, and then you sign up for a show and we will book you for a patron feedback show. And then you get to talk to me about Saturday Night Live, answer some questions from our fan community. It's a really great perk of being a patron. So uh, patreon.com slash the SNL network. And of course, we have plenty of things coming out on social media, including our data, which will go up there later this week and some other fun charts pertaining to Aubrey Plaza coming up next week as well. Nicole, what do you have to say to the listeners this week? It's been a journey. It's really, it's been a journey. We made it through this episode. If you're still listening, thank you. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I'm so excited for the Aubrey Plaza episode. It's going to be great. And there's a lot of, you know, data to talk about. You know, she's connected to a lot of people at the show. Fans of hers know that she was an NBC page who famously went around and lied about the history of NBC and 30 Rock and just told funny random stories, um, which we love. So amazing that she's now hosting the biggest show at the place that she told lies about. I think that's iconic. And she was an extra on SNL, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's very connected to the show. And it's... mm, mm -hmm. And it's crazy. It hasn't been, you know, this hasn't happened. Another one for for me with the the host draft that we did over the summer. Um, I am winning that. So thank you, Aubrey, for I am so excited for you. And I my one of my picks was the best host of the season, Kiki. So, you know, maybe Aubrey will be up there, too, um, because my picks are awesome. And um, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And Nicole, just to give you some, you know, credit on the way out here, um, you get a lot of heat for your uh, draft strategy. I know the drafting would be different if uh, more was considered than appearances, but I did quickly crunch the numbers. And if we went by, you know, much more sophisticated stats mm. for these um, drafts, mm-hmm. Nicole would be in second place with a bone oh! and shea team. Um, You're kidding. Oh, absolutely. I mean, oh. having someone get one of the update hosts is just unfair to begin with. So feel bad for you that you did get I did you know, it to myself I didn't think of I didn't think about how two rounds the, the, I mean you, the fact that you did it to yourself kind of evens it out but I do feel bad that someone had to get stuck with an update host for no, appearance, I'm very know, comfortable with rejecting victimhood if I do it to myself you don't have to feel bad you wear for me. it well it's it's great but I wanted to see you know you, you would be in second place um behind Damn. Haynes if we went by mm, um, well not for place. long That's he's true. gonna drop off so it's four. Nicole Rovine, John Schneider. I am Mike Murray. We are doing the SNL by the Numbers show after the Aubrey Plaza, Wednesday night, 8.30 live. Please join us and have a great week.